You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 417. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 15 at the Marriott Marquis in Houston. Today's show is recorded on St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 2020. In today's episode, the airline industry absorbing the impact of the coronavirus. We're learning more about a five-year-old airliner crash in Kenya. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the pluck of the Irish. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 417 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds. And welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, former U.S. Air Force pilot, currently a captain for a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, which I like to call Acme Airlines. And here to help me with all of this, from her lakeside home in the Carolinas, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, and IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you as well. Thank you. This is the shirt is green. I don't know if that comes through very well in this particular video, but it does. It looks wore, greenish. Where my green clothes. Looks more green than my blue shirt. <laughs> and also... Oh, wait a minute. Joining us from... No. Hang on. Captain Nick... Uh, let's see if we're getting something from from Captain Nick. Hang on. I think we have some audio. Bring out your dates! I'm not dead! What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead! He says he's not dead yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, unfortunately... Captain Nick is not going to be with us today because he is feeling unwell, but he does want us to know that he is not dead yet. (laughs) So we hope you feel better, Captain Nick, but we will be hearing from him in his awful, awful, (laughs) that's awesome, plain tales. (laughs) Gosh. All right. Uh, I knew I shouldn't try something new. Oh, he's not here yet either. Let's uh, go down to this. We need still need to get some new music for you, Rick. I mean, yeah, Miami Rick. Uh, let's see. From the Magic City, world traveler, airline mechanic, Brightling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. <laughs> hey, I like, nothing wrong with that, so I like that music. Yeah. Well, you really? Nah, we got to have something. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get something. More cool. We'll get something. Yeah. What's going on, everybody? How's that St. Patty's t- treating y'all? Well, it's not quite like every St. Patrick's Day that you have when you're like with other people. 
I'll tell you one thing, though. One time I had to, I spent St. Patrick's Day in Kuwait City, Kuwait. So, uh, you know, this is a little better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would imagine so. You not not a lot of beer drinking there, right? Not a lot of beer drinking going on. I did have a a bottle of Perrier, so that was green. So uh-huh. uh, you know, that's had to make do with what you had. But uh, yeah. yeah, happy to be back. Looking for uh, looking forward to a good one. Yeah, me too. I'm glad that. And we're, hey, yeah, I'm here with all of you. So I'm going to bust out a beer later. And it won't be the worst St. Patrick's Day ever. So there, there you go. go. Well, I didn't say there it was the worst ever. It's just a little bit different. Uh, different. I meant beer too. Oh, well, hey, wait, wait, wait. Now, let's see. Now we can play Dana's intro music from the Northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat, skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. It's Captain Dana. Hey, everybody. I made it. Yes, you did. <laughs> Hey, we went ahead. Mach point seven nine five the whole way back with a with a sixty seven knot tailwind push just at five hundred and twenty one nautical miles an hour. That was kind of fun. Nice. So, so I made it to the show. Yeah, we uh, we decided to start um, without you because uh, Steph has to take a a very important call at five o'clock, and right now it's about four thirty five. So we thought uh, we. We get this uh, news thing started, and then um, she'll leave us, and then she'll come back, hopefully, after after it's finished. But we knew you were getting close to being home, so thank you for the Herculean effort, Dana. Well, at least I didn't have any blue lights behind me following me to my house. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's any of those. Um, That's all I, I did go into the neighborhood on two wheels, however. <laughs> out of the four on, on your motorcycle oh uh, no <laughs> what, if, what if you put like a bumper sticker or a sign on the back of your car that's a coronavirus courier maybe they wouldn't bother you i don't know probably not yeah all right well if i put lyme that i have lyme disease l-y-m-e with the you know a mm-hmm. green sign to go along with my coronavirus then i would definitely be left alone yeah, Corona Lyme mm-hmm. disease. Okay, I like it. All right, Get ready for Cinco de Mayo? Yes, which is not too far into the future, is it? Okay, let's uh, go ahead and knock out some news items. Stand by for news. All right, the first item is uh, from a crash that occurred about, I don't know, almost five, six years ago. Uh, Although the accident occurred in 2014, the inquiry was only signed off at the end of November last year and published by the Transport Ministry in January. And, of course, we know that uh, they just take their time when it comes to accident investigations. This is the uh, Fokker 50 crash, uh, and this article is from Flight Global. Uh, Kenyan investigators had, have disclosed that the crew of uh, Fokker 50 continued to take off roll despite multiple alerts, apparently warning of a serious engine problem before the aircraft crashed some 50 seconds after becoming airborne. The inquiry into the incident involving a Skyward International Aviation turboprop departing Nairobi's main international airport found that 27 high-level triple-chime alerts had sounded as the aircraft rolled along runway six for takeoff. 
Oral alerts had commenced as early as eight seconds after the takeoff was initiated. While the aircraft was well below the V-1 decision speed, the crew did not act to, to abort the takeoff roll. Mm, not good. Flight data recorder information indicates the left-hand Pratt & Whitney Canada PW-125 engine was exhibiting problems with uh, increasing torque but declining propeller speed compared with the right-hand engine. On its ground roll for takeoff, the aircraft seemed to take more runway than anticipated before attaining the takeoff speed, the Kenyan Air Accident Investigation Department states, indicating that the roll lasted over 90 seconds. The aircraft lifted from the high-elevation airport at about 100 knots, but barely climbing, the inquiry says, reaching no more than 50 feet above ground after about 20 seconds while continually deviating to the left of the extended centerline. That makes sense. Obviously, the left engine is not performing the way it should. You have more power on the right side, so it's making it kind of veer to the left of the extended centerline. Um, it subsequently collided with a building 2,100 meters north-northeast of the runway end. None of the four occupants, two pilots, an engineer, and a loadmaster, survived. It goes on talking about this three-chime alert, which uh, I'm trying to recall exactly what kind of airplane this was. Do you, do you guys uh, remember? Was it a ATR or was it a uh, the half a Fokker 50? What Walker is 50. Oh, that's right. That's what it says yep. right there in the headline. Oh, it says yeah. right on there. <laughs> you read it like three and times. So that's okay. and, and I had to think, you know, for a second, that's why I said uh, prop, because I had to remind myself Fokker 100 is a turbojet, was a Fokker 50 is a turboprop. Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons. And the other is because I thought that was the name of the airline. No, I'm just kidding. The <laughs> <laughs> Dutch airline. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, I've not, never flown this airliner before, obviously. I've never actually flown a turboprop. Um, but um, so this three-chime alert apparently is a big deal. Uh, it would be maybe equivalent uh, for the airplanes that we fly that, you know, you get an engine fire warning or some kind of a very important high-level, you know, warning, and you just keep going down the runway and not aborting the takeoff, which is just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, as you say, because it's, it's, it says here that the first, uh, the first indication of, pro of trouble was eight seconds in. And uh, a lot of these airplanes, um, as you progress in your takeoff run, a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the cautions and the warnings are inhibited as you get closer and closer to rotation speed so as to not uh, cause you to abort the takeoff necessarily or put you in a position where aborting the takeoff might actually be more dangerous than continuing the takeoff, obviously up to a, up to V1 speed, which is your go-no-go -no -go speed based on your runway. Uh, so if you have an indication of trouble that early on, uh, obviously you want to try to you know abort uh, because it, it obviously, one, it'd be a, a low-speed abort, easier on the brakes. Uh, I have flown many times in and out of Nairobi, and as the article says here, it's a it's a high altitude airport. Obviously, the runway is very very long, but it uh, that really um, the fact that the airport is you know it's a high altitude airport, high density altitude airport uh, means that the required thrust to get the aircraft safely off the ground is higher. Uh, and uh, also the fact that particularly for turboprop airplanes, I've never flown turboprops. These turboprop airplanes have a very, very critical speed. Well, two actual very critical speeds. One is called the VMCG, which is your minimum controllability speed on the ground and your VMCA, which is the same for in the air. Um, and you cannot, you cannot maintain 
a proper flight path, a straight flight path, if you are below that VMCA, because you just don't have enough rudder authority to uh, have, you know, have the rudder have, you know, enough aerodynamic authority to keep you going straight down the, down your, your departure track there. So I see that uh, as you're reading there, Captain Jeff, the uh, airplane deviated to the left. Um, so as I was saying, eight seconds that early into the, uh, into the uh, takeoff run, just aboard the takeoff, man. What the hell are you thinking? I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately we don't know, we don't have any indication as to why they would have continued doing that. These weren't, um, at least the captain wasn't inexperienced 6,800 hours in command of Fokker fifties. So well, that's, that's exactly what the problem was. He's been on the airplane so long. He's deaf. He didn't hear anything. I didn't hear a warning. It's kind of like you know. No, I was going to go there. I uh, no, I'm not going to go there. I can still hear. I was going to say, yeah, no. I was going to say after so long, you become tone deaf to certain things. Yeah, true. Yeah, um, yeah. What this interesting uh, paragraph right below the one that you were talking about is um, experience stuff. Analysis mm-hmm. of recordings from the previous positioning flight by the aircraft showed a three-time alert had occurred and that the crew spent time trying to diagnose the problem. Despite the evidence from the cockpit voice recorder, the monitoring pilot for the flight denied knowledge of any anomalies, says the inquiry. Hmm. So, and same flight crew. Interesting. Yeah. So they're just kind of like, oh, it worked fine before, so what, what, could, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. yeah, not the right attitude to have. No. Nope. All right. Well, obviously, uh, the lesson learned here is that uh, if the airplane warning systems are trying to warn you of something that is very important, then you should probably pay attention to it. And do exactly. Something. And 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 as as I was saying, these these uh, these uh, warning and caution inhibits, um, as I said, you know, come into play the closer you get to rotation speed, and usually, depending on the manufacturer. The uh, they'll be inhibited up until either 400 feet or 20 seconds after takeoff. So that's when the the warnings come back in. So that in that in in the interim, while while you are on that very critical portion of the takeoff run, while you're rotating and you know flying away from terrain initially, you need to have all your you know just just basically focus on on the flying itself. And if you do have an engine failure, the airplane's going to yaw, but you're going to be above the speed you need to. One, clear obstacles, and two, maintain your track. So, Yeah. Good point. Oh, I'm looking at the chat room here, and apparently one of my long-lost relatives is there on the uh, Facebook live feed. His name is Soren Orskov. Did I get that right? Or, or, Orskov Nielsen, mm-hmm. spelled exactly oh. like my last name. He says, yeah. thanks for great podcast. Regards from Nielsen and the Danish flag. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I wish I could say something in Danish. To, to bid you a, a fond farewell, but I don't know any Danish at all. I barely know English, actually. <laughs> so thanks for thank, thanks for hanging out for a little bit. Send in some audio feedback. Yeah, that'd be Danish great. There you go. Sign off. If he's still there, yeah. Do that, Soren. Okay, um, item B, uh, the Turkish Pegasus flight um, that crashed, what, sometime last year. Uh, what was the actual end of last year? I think end of last year. Yeah. I remember the video was just very, (laughs) Rick, did you have a chance to see this thing? It was, it was brutal to see the thing go right off the end of this runway. And then it just basically disappears and goes down this deep ravine. 
uh, broke into three uh, separate pieces. Um, now, I, you guys are going to have to help me with this because I'm having a lot of trouble understanding this report. And I think part of it is because it's probably transcribed from Turkish into English. Uh, but um, it starts off by saying, this is from Reuters, uh, the Dutch co-pilot of a Pegasus Airlines plane that skidded off the runway, killing three passengers at Istanbul's Sabia Gokin, Sabia Gokin, I don't know, uh, airport last month, did not understand guidance in Turkish and failed to break in time, according to a report seen by Reuters. The Pegasus plane flying in from the western city of Izmir sped off the end of the wet runway, broke into three pieces after a drop of 30 meters. That's like 100 feet. State media later said that the flight's captain was arrested. Ooh. According to a preliminary report seen by Reuters on Thursday, the control tower initially told the pilot to hold off from landing due to harsh weather. Uh, if you'll recall, there was a very severe thunderstorm making its way over the field at about the time they were being vectored in for the approach. And if they had just waited a little bit longer, I think that the storm would have been well clear of the airport. And not only that, but the winds had changed like 180 degrees, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, they, no. uh, they set up for the prevailing winds when they were first approaching the airport. And then, yeah, when that thing went through, everything basically shifted 180 degrees. Um, and pretty strong tailwind that they were trying to land with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was an 18-knot crosswind and then a 15-knot tailwind component, which in a lot of cases is it's – some airplanes, it's above tailwind um, tailwind yep. uh, limitations, which is usually ten knots. Some airplanes, you know, the 747 you can have up to fifteen knot tailwind, but uh, most airplanes only ten knots tailwind, and that's something that you, uh, I, 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 at least I try to in, uh, incorporate that into my scan when I come in when very very short final, mm-hmm. because you, like you were saying just now, you might be flying the approach with a headwind component the entire time. But you come over the numbers that t- that turns into a tailwind, and that severely, severely diminishes your landing performance because now you have a higher ground speed. You're floating. You're in ground effect, and your landing analysis, your landing assessment numbers, basically are just you know not worth anything anymore because not you're not cro- yeah no, you're not crossing the runway uh, threshold 50 feet. You're not touching down in the in the uh, in the touchdown zone. So everything it's invalidated. Mm. Um. Okay. So again, it says that the the Dutch co-pilot did not understand the Turkish guidance. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think that the captain was Turkish, and he probably understood the language, and he was the captain. I don't know why they're spending so much time focusing on the co-pilot, right? Because the captain is the one that has the authority on the flight deck, whether or not you mm. fly an approach or not. Um so, I yeah, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying, the confusion with this particular article. I guess uh, I just wonder if the news organization has just picked up on that part of it. And that's why they've mm-hmm. highlighted it in the the story. Um, well, ma- maybe maybe what it is is because if the captain is Turkish, he's not as free to speak as the non-Turkish mm-hmm. first officer. Might be the case. That might mm-hmm. be. Well, anyway, uh, so I'll continue to read a little bit more of this article. They said they're commenting on the report, quote, when the speed indicator showed 57 knots, speed brakes and thrust reversers were turned off and manual braking was turned back on. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean the manual braking was turned back on? I think what they mean to say is they were they, they stopped using the thrust reversers. They stowed the thrust reversers and speed brakes and 
we're using manual braking instead of automated mm-hmm. automated braking. Uh, the deceleration was the first manual braking. Uh, let's see, the, the first manual brake was used at a ground speed of 84 knots, and that was not enough. Therefore, the plane ran off the runway speed of 60 knots. It said, "I don't." Again, I think a lot of this has to do with the uh, uh, transcription from the yeah. language. You know, I think something else that might that might play into here is, is uh, so. This is the new the new airport at uh, in Istanbul. Um, which I which I haven't been to yet, uh, but I I flew out of in and out of the old Istanbul airport uh, many many times, and uh, the runway they would use for landings was it wasn't exactly a very long runway. So the so especially when conditions were a little a little uh, marginal, it was a bit of a of a snug snug fit going in there, especially at at the at the higher landing weights. Um, these, this new airport, obviously in a brand new airport, brand new patch of land. So they could just basically sprawl as, as, as long as they want and make the runway as long as they want. So maybe that, that, uh, I'm obviously speculating a little bit here. So, um, the pilot, the captain being Turkish, the fact that he was, you know, used to flying in the old Istanbul airport. Now he's got this very, very long runway. Maybe that, that led into a little bit more, uh, complacency as far as, as far as, um, uh, you know, dropping what your standards should be for a stabilized bridge c- criteria, which are really, you know, set in stone when you, when you, when you think about it, as far as airlines are, are, are concerned. And by stabilized approach, I mean, on glide path, uh, engine spooled up, fully configured for landing, you know, with your landing flap setting with all your checklists complete. And usually the, 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 the final gate for that is, is a thousand feet above field elevation. It used to be 500 feet for visuals and a, and a thousand feet for instrument approaches. Now I think the airlines all, you know, just every airline that I've, that, that, that I know of, um, even in, even in, in, in South America, now use a thousand feet above field elevation as their as their stabilized approach criteria. And when you when you read what what I went from here because this this article really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I went over to the AF Herald and 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 read through what Simon had to say about it. Mm-hmm. And he he put in there the um, some of the um, the uh, S mode data that was transmitted from the airplane. Uh, a lot of the ground speeds, the al- the altitude at which the uh, threshold was crossed, the fact that the runway was contaminated. And, uh, I, with an 18 knot cross and 50 knot tail, I mean, I, and from what I've heard, even, 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 uh, captain Jeff, not you, but, uh, but, uh, uh, the other captain Jeff, he's saying that the, uh, he's, and I've always heard the 737, the 800s, they don't particularly have, you know, very good brakes. Um, little brakes are a little iffy on those. I mean, not, not that they're dangerous or anything, but, but the, the amount of braking power, it's not, it's not really. Uh, what it should be um, for for any other, uh, any other uh, airplane, uh, but but it's probably uh, better than the uh, Mad Dog. <laughs> hey, to uh, to bring us back up to fifty percent here. Yeah. This is actually not the new airport. This is just a secondary airport. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. okay. That's, all right, excellent. Because because yeah, because yeah, I don't I don't remember I don't remember this 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 airport here. I haven't. Yeah. Uh, Captain Al said it's straight and, uh, on that. Also, I'm not sure how long this runway was, but they did have to end it at a certain point because uh, it, you know, it went down this very steep. Right, the steep. Redu- and then because there's some kind of a, a roadway, a perimeter roadway that goes, or like a major highway or boulevard mm-hmm. or something down there. So, um, yeah. And then uh, this, this I don't recall hearing about until reading this um, when we were talking about this accident before. The report also said that audio recordings from the flight showed that the pilots panicked 
over possible damage after the plane was struck by lightning some six minutes before landing. So it sounds uh, like I, things were a little uh, crazy in there. I feel like that was a different. I don't know. Oh, I remember it? something similar to that, but I thought that was a different incident. Oh, I can't remember which one. Anyway, I don't I'm know. confusing them. All right. Do you have to go, Steph? Yeah, I'm going to probably step out now and I will rejoin you after my uh, meeting has okay. concluded. And then so. you can give us a uh, an update on what's been going on with you when you come back. I will do that. Okay. See great. you in a few. All right. Okay. Bye. Okay. Um, let's continue. Uh, we talked about this a couple of episodes, I believe, ago when we heard that the TSA was shutting down and we all thought, oh, what? The transport uh, transportation security Administration is shutting down. No, it's uh, Trans States Airlines, a regional airline uh, based in St. Louis, and uh, they were going to be shutting the doors and, and turning off all the lights at the end of this year. But because of this coronavirus outbreak, uh, they are dead. They are uh, ending up uh, their uh, operations by the end of this month, March 31st, 2020. So that's kind of sad. That's just a little update on that. And uh, thoughts and prayers go out to all of those who are involved with this company. And hopefully you'll be able to recover and do something great into the future. So just Absolutely. Wanted, wanted to quickly mention that. Terrible. It is. And I guess they've been suffering for quite some time, right, Dana? Um, yes, they've, they've been suffering for a long time. Yeah. So they've continued to decline over the last several years. Yeah. Um, and then uh, – Finally, hey, how about some good news before we kind of go back into bad news? <laughs> uh, yes. Good news. Uh, item D, college cross-country team buys a plane ticket to get lunch from an airport Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and uh, this was sent us sent in by uh, Chris Cheatwood in northern Alabama. We sometimes call him the guru. Um, let's see. This story from Albany, New York, a group of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute RPI students decided to get creative after wanting food from Chick-fil-A. Vincent Petrino, a senior at RPI, is the captain of the cross-country track and field teams. He and his teammates had a week off from competitions, prompting the idea of getting getting Chick-fil-A for a team lunch. The only problem, the closest Chick-fil-A restaurant is about an hour and a half away, outside of one located inside the Albany International Airport. Petrino did not think it was worth the three-hour round-trip drive just to gather up some grub for a team lunch. Instead, he and his teammates figured if they had enough interest from all the guys on the team, they could collectively purchase a single plane ticket, use it to get through airport security, and get everyone's orders. So that is exactly what they did. Petrino ended up purchasing a one-way airline ticket to Fort Lauderdale for $98 since it was the cheapest flight he and his teammates could find. The cost per person for the airline ticket was about $5.50. He then proceeded to make his way through TSA security to purchase food for 18 guys, including himself, with no intent to actually board the flight. After it was all said and done, Petrino victoriously walked out of the airport, food in hand, which included 15 Chick-fil-A sandwiches, 15 large fries, 156 nuggets, a bag of cookies, and a just one bag of cookies, huh, and a lemonade. The total cost of the food order came out to be two hundred and twenty-seven dollars and twenty-eight cents, and so that's the, uh, the the feel-good story of the day on episode four seventeen. My only question is: Is that actually legal? I mean, is that? It seems like that would there's some kind of a rule against doing something like that if you really don't intend to fly, but maybe there isn't. 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Well, how do they know that your plants didn't change while you were, you know, after you cross, you know, went True. across security there? So, yeah. Plot I mean, deniability. Uh, look, think about Dr. Steph and what she's done. Yeah, many times. Over. Well, we don't want to get her in trouble. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going to get her in trouble. But you know, it, it, you, you're not getting in trouble for for doing that. Yeah, let's so, go. Very good point, Rick. Plans change. That's yep. right. All right. Well, that's all we have in there. We purposely uh, didn't load up the news folder uh, for this show because we wanted to make sure that we'd have time to talk about what's happening in the world of aviation, especially March 17th of the year 2020. And the coronavirus is really impacting the entire world. It's one of those big worldwide events that uh, you don't get too many times in history, but we're living through it right now. And uh, so we we thought we'd take some time to not only talk about uh, what we've been doing between shows, but um, at the end of this, we'll go ahead and start talking a little bit about the coronavirus, the COVID-19, the coronavirus um, 2019, and, uh, and now 2020 as well, and how it's uh, affecting all of us as far as our, our jobs are concerned and uh, our, our lives um, personally. So um, with that, um, Dana, I think that uh, you had a trip and you had a meetup, and it's probably the trip that you just came home from? Um, or is that a previous trip? That was a previous trip. Okay, previous trip. Okay, I think so. No, actually, um, it was Sunday. What, so, what, what you know, that was this this week. Uh, okay, you know what? Today was a very long day. I was up at three thirty this morning. Um, yeah, three thirty this morning. So I'm kind of actually flaking out right now. I'm kind of tired. It was a very long day. Three three very long legs. Yeah, Ooh. with some pretty gnarly weather. So, oh, right. um, hmm. mm, yeah. Where, where you fly, Where were you flying today? Uh, flew out of Hartford, Bradley, Windsor Locks, or uh, Springfield. All mm-hmm. four of those are relative to, are related to that one airport. Mm-hmm. And uh, this morning showed up, and the uh, it was snowing out. Snow. I wasn't. I was not expecting snow. So showed up, and I was actually in a very good mood, ready for my last day of work, and. Oh, did it snowball from there, my friend? <laughs> no pun intended, but it, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it got thick and real thick. Um, no fuel uh, at seven minutes prior to departure time. Uh, they had just started fueling at that point. Took a delay for that. Then now they're trying to pull the jetway off the airplane. Jetway wouldn't work. So finally, by the time we push back and get everything done and then de-ice, uh, then we call for a taxi. Yeah, you've got a 15-minute uh, flow control time into Atlanta. Not bad for uh, going to Atlanta. Not, not, not bad, but not usually that way at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, um, Well, because the right. weather here in Atlanta was not great. Exactly. So then flying down to Atlanta, you know, 100-knot headwind, mm. two hours and uh, 16, yeah, two hours and 16 minutes with 23 people on the airplane. <laughs> wow yeah um so then we're on, on the way down to atlanta and the weather 
is crud in Atlanta. Had to do a Cat 3 auto land. You know, could have done gotten away with Cat 2, but when we checked in, it was 1,200 RVR right at the minimums. Oh, and by the way, coming in from the northeast, we went to the most southern runway at the airport. Um, so uh, ended up at runway one zero, shooting the auto land, and uh, yeah, it was a bit challenging. Hey, no, Dana. Uh, sorry, don't mean to interrupt you here, uh-huh. but think about it. I, I I just realized this today that I when we're doing those low vis approach procedures, I'm thinking now that I would prefer to be on that runway because you don't have anybody crossing that runway and moving that localizer signal around like you have when you're landing on nine right or eight left. I know it's a little bit longer to taxi in, especially in low vis procedures because they're, they, they try to slow everything down as much as they can to be as safe as they can. But uh, I landed on one zero this morning as well. And anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Well, and that's, that's very true. And it's a very good point. I mean, you don't have that uh, crossing traffic and it makes it a lot more stable, mm-hmm. especially for our aircraft coming down, coming down the pike. Um, so yeah, it was it was a challenging day, um, and then up to Wichita and back. So I had three uh, extensively long legs, and uh, in perspective, um, in in respect to what we do, <laughs> Rick, <laughs> Rick is listening to us talking about two hour two and a half hour legs as extremely long. <laughs> and that's like, what's the shortest flight you ever do, Rick? So three, three hours for me is usually just like the first shift. <laughs> yeah. Of, of, of four shift changes. <laughs> but for us, it's like ultra long haul when we do those kind of flights. <laughs> yeah. If we go to El Paso, I get, I, you know, that's a three hour that, flight. Man, I'll is, tell you what, that's beyond my butt range. Yeah. But you know, exactly. And, and that's what it is. I mean, the, 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 the mat dog is not exactly, you know, ergonomically friendly when it comes to sitting, you know, for, for that long. No. And, uh, well, it, take two uh, flat pieces of metal. Put them at a ninety degree angle, make it a little bit adjustable with a little bit of cushioning on it, and that gives you an idea what we what we sit on. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a seat pan. It's it's insane, and you know, with, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a little you know I guess a little spoiled here because I've I've got you know the equivalent of a of a small apartment. You know, with bedrooms included up there, with a lazy um, boy that you're sitting with, in. A, with a lazy boy I'm sitting <laughs> in, and even and even the triple seven, the freighter was you know nice, and it's it's no seven four. I tell you, because there's really nothing as comfortable as seven forty seven, the freighter. Um, that that triple seven was 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 nice and comfy as well. But I mean, I can't imagine what you guys have to go through sitting in there for three hours plus. So I don't. I mean, I completely understand, it, Captain Dana. Hey, Rick, this is the first time we're actually meeting. Nice to meet hey. you. Oh, really? by, oh. by the way, off the screen, can I show you that I'm you're my number one friend? Are you? I, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am honored. <laughs> hey, Dana, uh, meet uh, Miami Rick up up up, up there. Nice. Uh, pointing the right way, yeah. And, uh, and Miami doing, Rick, I'm, I'm, please meet. I'm Dana. the wrong way. He's right over How here. How are you? I'm saying hi down there. How are you? <laughs> nice to meet you. I've actually watched you in the last couple of shows. It's been great to kind of get acquainted that way and, and see all your technical proficiencies and how really uh, uh, really good you are at that. So it's Thanks nice to have you back. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so it, it was a long day today. And it seems like such a long time ago. But let me tell you what, um, that meetup in Syracuse, that very short meetup, uh, was one of uh, one one unbelievable meetup. We had a great time, great conversation, um, and uh, you know, did I send you the. I see. I can't even remember if I sent the audio. You did. 
I did. I have it right wow. here. I'm pause. I'm. I guess I'm just. I guess I'm just that tired today. Yeah. Um. So I apologize to my friend in Syracuse because why don't you go ahead and play the audio, Jeff? Because that will just allow us to have him introduced that way. All right. Here we go. Hello, APG community. This is Captain Dana reporting live from the campus of Syracuse University here in upstate New York. Beautiful day here. Um, no clouds in the sky. It's about 34 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, just an absolutely beautiful morning. And I had the distinct pleasure of being escorted to breakfast by the local college professor. You would know him as Stefan. And he has just uh, been a gracious host this morning. We've had a wonderful uh, time talking, catching up, uh, talking about aviation. Oh, nobody here at this podcast likes aviation, do we? That would be a farce. Then what about our 50 percentile? We've got to keep that above 50 percent. So we're lying about that. We're talking about how much Stefan enjoys uh, flying and talking about all the recent experiences. So anyways, uh, after a uh, very nice breakfast of, uh, that we enjoyed together, uh, I want to take this opportunity and give Stefan the microphone to say hello and uh, say a, a very uh, warm welcome to the EPG community. So here you go, Stefan. All right. Hello, APG crew. Uh, it's a real pleasure to meet up with Dana this morning. We had a great breakfast at uh, Funken Waffles here in Syracuse downtown. Beautiful weather. We had chat about the interesting times we live in. Uh, looking outside, uh, I think we both feel like we want to go flying right now. We sure do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, and ironically, we both are. We both are indeed. Mm-hmm. We're both gonna head out to the airport. Originally, I was actually on Dana's flight, but uh, guess what? Because of the times we live in, I had to cancel that flight. So I'll just be in a GA airplane this afternoon. But yeah, it's a beautiful day. Don't forget to fly, even in this beautiful, uh, in this funny times we live in. And uh, cheers to you all. Well, thank you, Stefan. That was a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, day of of chatting and getting to uh, know each other. Um, I look forward to hopefully in the future when I have a little bit longer of a layover up here in Syracuse of uh, taking you up on that wonderful offer of of taking a flight with you. Um, just uh, just looking forward to that happening and hoping that uh, I get a Syracuse layover yet again in the near future with a little bit more time on it. I'll, I will now look for that 30-hour layover in Syracuse Fair on enough. purpose. <laughs> Anyways, uh, on that note, Jeff, I'm going to send it back to you in the studio. APG community, great to talk to you and have a great day. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, what's that show um, on APC, um, The Goldbergs and... Uh, Adams, uh, the the guy that's uh, kind of the star of the show, his brother uh, has some kind of a uh, like a gang of friends, and they call them JP JPT. Uh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it because I can't think of exactly what the but it's three letters, and they say it, they like yell it every time they're together. And so I thought every time I hear them do that, I always think APG. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to I'll have to um, get a little clip of the show, and then I'll exp- it'll make it probably more understandable uh next time i yell out apg like that so i'm gonna definitely cut this out of the show liz don't worry about it yeah i was gonna say because you're only making sense to yourself i know i'm not no i'm not even making myself uh sense to myself right now so jtp 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 apg anyway um 
Well, that's great. It's uh, I met up with uh, Stefan a couple of times, and he is the um, he's is part of the uh, Syracuse Flying Club, and he's also a uh, I don't know if he's a double I, but he's a CFI. Um, so he does uh, does a lot of instruction there and in, uh, at the Syracuse Airport. An amazing. Absolutely amazing gentleman. And he's really uh, super and smart. He's a professor he's of physics. Smart. And he's like, he's not like a, just an instructor yes. kind of guy. He's like in research. Yeah. They're doing wow. research on, on finding, uh, the, the, uh, wavelength between black holes colliding or something. Like gravity waves and stuff. I mean, gravity waves. I radio mean, telescopes. Well, well above my, uh, limited, uh, vocabulary and understanding, but he did a fantastic job of explaining uh, what he does. And, you know, I, I honestly hope that I do get another Syracuse layover other than obviously having the opportunity to hope, hopefully go fly with him, but I would like to go and sit in his classroom when he's teaching because he's a very articulate, mm-hmm. Stefan, I'm talking about you. You're a very articulate man. And, uh, oh, I'll tell you what, about the, me. no, no, <laughs> no, you're just a handsome, sexy mustache guy, man. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. No, you're such a Stop it. Anyways, um, that's not politically correct. I'm sorry. Anyways, um, what, a, what I mean, what a great breakfast. What a great, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, it's just whatever. I, I just can't wait to go up there again. And um, so the trip ended uh, here uh, this afternoon, and I rushed home on two wheels coming across every corner trying to get back here. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you didn't break uh, too many laws and that the uh, local uh, constables didn't uh, pull you over and throw you in jail. Yeah. Well, uh, if they did, um, well, I'd send Captain Jeff to the rescue. Yeah. He'd show up with his really nice mustache and say, I'm a constable, too. <laughs> wow. Are you? I think he wants a raise. No, I, I think I'm just delirious because I'm that tired. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, Paul said on the in in the chat room, why don't you go, you know, change your shirt and because I am still wearing my stripes at least, uh, and and make yourself a bourbon. If I had one bourbon right now, I think I'd probably pass out <laughs> pass on my out. computer. Hey, yeah. I just wanted to mention quickly. Um, uh, I've had a couple of uh, meetups up in the Syracuse area as well, and Stefan has always been. Um, I think at all of them, uh, but Tom Catalino, one of our um, coffee fund uh, cadre members, is also up there. He's a small business owner, and uh, um, so Tom, we'll have to, uh, you know, make plans to meet up again. I've met up with him a couple of times as well. So, and it just it just goes to show how important it is to go ahead and look at the schedules. You, you mm-hmm. never know when we're going to be in your area, and it would have been great to meet Tom uh, yeah. the other morning as well. Yeah, you'd love. Him. He's a great guy. All right. Anything else, Dana? Any any no. big plans for the uh, rest of the week? Well, you know, today, I, I, you know, everybody's talking about the um, this uh, virus that's going around that we're, I'm not going to mention the name of anymore. No, um, but we're going to talk point. about it, though. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. But right yeah. now, it's just this far greater news, yeah. very depressing news in my world. I don't care about any viruses or anything else going on in the world. Today is a terrible day. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, we're not, not going to. This is this is not a sports talk show, but Tom Brady is leaving the, oh. great, the Patriots. Oh, so that's... the rest of the nation is in ecstatic joy and <laughs> loving it because Tom Brady is no longer part of the Patriots. So now the rest of the league has a chance. 
well, wherever he goes, we're going to hate that team too, right? <laughs> I have a funny feeling this guy right here, and I'm pointing the wrong way, is going to be excited because I have a f- sneaking suspicion. This is just a guess on my part, but he's going to Miami. I heard, I heard something about that, but I oh. can't, you know, it's, it might, I don't know. It might, because they need something to happen down here because for good Lord, it's just been too long. <laughs> So for those of you who uh, don't follow American football, uh, Tom Brady is uh, the star. You know, and he's been he was with the Patriots for 20 years. I somebody told me that today and I went, "What? I knew he had been there for a while, but 20 years." That's yeah, amazing. And he is yeah, like one of the best years. ever uh quarterbacks in the National Football League, so um, Absolutely. Yeah, anyway. It's, so it's every- a bad day for me and and now Patty St. Patty's Day for the rest of my life is ruined. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, I did see the uh, Patriots 767 airplane uh, yesterday. You in Providence? Yep. Went, that was the first turnaround on the uh, trip on Monday morning. I think they're just going to sell the airplanes now. Probably. There's no reason What's to have sense? one What's anymore. Sense? Well, they had two. One for Tom and one for the rest of the team. Did they really? <laughs> no. That's not true. No. What do I know? <laughs> I think there's only one. Anyway, well, thanks, Dana. I uh, mean, I, I always wanted to be, you know, I, want, I always wanted to have the opportunity to become a pilot and fly either one of those airplanes. Mm-hmm. Now the hell with it. I don't, I don't need to fly. <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> Well, always, I'm sure it's not, it's not as bad as you think it is, Dana. I'm sure nah, I'm, Patriots I'm, just, be I'm just playing off of it. Yeah. Well, when I do change and come back, I might have a little surprise. <laughs> okay. Um, Rick, what's been up, man? You're still in, uh, still in training. Still in training. And uh, so what? This is the, the 17th of March. I've been here since February the 4th. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a little while, mm-hmm. uh, over a month now. Uh as I was saying earlier, uh, hoping to get this done by the 28th. So I have a, a check right on the 28th. And then after that, I have a couple more um, uh, simulator sessions for for um, uh, low visibility operations, low visibility approaches, uh, upset recovery training, and uh, knock out a couple of landings at, at max um, crosswind component, you know, from mm-hmm. both sides. Get that out of the way. And then you do um, a couple of days of... Um, it's called LQT, line qualification training. You know, just a couple of um, of um, classroom days in there. And uh, if everything holds up the way it seems to be holding up, I'll be completely done by April the 4th, just Ooh. a day short of my 39th birthday. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, so we're hoping that we're hoping to have everything ready by then, um, because as I was saying earlier, it would it would it would be really bad if they if they, you know, put a halt to the to the training, although as as They've been really good about, you know, keeping people healthy. The Boeing training center is running like clockwork. They're, you know, they're, they're keeping the simulators spotless, but they're, they're, they're wiping everything down with Lysol and that, and, you know, disinfectant in between, uh, uh, flight sessions. Uh, everyone seems to be, you know, healthy and just, just practice common sense and you should be all right. I think, and I hope this whole thing will just kind of fizzle out in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, and, and, and I believe that'll be the case, but yeah, been, been in school, uh, as far as going back to flying after I'm done on the fourth, I'm hoping that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hit the line there, um, for, uh, operating experience, initial operating experience inside of two weeks. So I'm hoping to have everything done. If not by late April, by uh, early May sometime, be completely checked out and, 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 and out in the line. So um, we'll see how that goes. So now, do you know where you're going to be based yet? 
Uh, I'll be. I'm. I'm Cincinnati based. Okay. Cincinnati based. Yeah. So uh, Cincinnati based. So the 767's got three bases. One is New York, which does the bulk of the uh, of the uh, air mobility command uh, of the military flying that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati is uh, the bigger of the three bases, and that's uh, mostly um, uh, DHL flying. So a lot of DHL flying out of there, both domestically and internationally. And then the uh, the last uh, base is uh, Ontario and California, and all of that is 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 mostly uh, Amazon flying, uh, okay. both uh, mostly mostly domestic, but some international as well, mm-hmm. uh, and out, out to Hawaii. Um, so yeah, Cincinnati for now. That's the that's the junior base out of the three. So Ontario is probably more more senior. No, actually, the the, the most senior base is New York. Oh. York, yeah, because uh, that uh, that AMC flying uh, takes you to uh, you know all all our bases, all our you know military bases mm-hmm. in Europe and the Middle East, and uh, and down to uh, Diego Garcia as well. That mm-hmm. that airport you used to go to all those yep. years ago. Um, so that that's 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 the bit you know that's the coveted flying, I guess. Oh, okay. but, uh, but I tell you, I mean, from 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 my point of view, I've I'm just. I'm I'm happy to be doing domestic stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to you know not be uh, away from loved ones as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I'm happy to you know to stay you know in in inside of a, of a three hour time zone window there, which can be a lot easier on on my body because I tell you this this around the world stuff really does take a toll on you. So when you say loved ones, you're talking about us, right? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we love you too. Okay. Well, good. Well, um, I know that training will go well for you and, uh, you know, look forward to hearing about your LQT and, uh, all the, all the rest to come. That's yeah, really cool. Um, let's see. Um, just a quick mention, like for me, not a lot going on. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm very busy in, uh, uh, activities, uh, mi- music ministry activities at my, at my, uh, parish church. So between the last show and today, um, um, the weekend was mostly, uh, consumed with that kind of thing. And although our, uh, our, our parish and our, our archdiocese in Atlanta, and I guess all around the country and the world has been, you know, pretty heavily affected by this, uh, virus outbreak and trying to contain it and not transfer it to other folks, you know, as best we can. And so, uh, things have been really kind of you know, slowing down in that respect at, at the uh, parish church. And I just got an email today that said that uh, basically masses for the follow- next weekend and the following weekend uh, for the time being probably going to be extended uh, beyond that are canceled completely. So no masses in the Archdiocese of Atlanta for at least two weeks or more. So um, at least I'll have some time off uh, on the weekends to spend on editing the, uh, the uh, APG. Um, Green slips. And possibly green slips, yeah. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah. And again, as I said, we're kind of we're kind of circling around it a little bit, but we're going to talk a little bit more directly about the uh, COVID nineteen uh, after we finish this little um, getting to know us uh, segment. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to mention uh, some big news in the APG community. Captain Craig, his birthday is Thursday of this week, two days from now, March nineteenth. And uh, First Officer Mila's birthday is on Friday, March 20th. So, yay. Happy birthday to you guys. Um, Shall we do a round robin uh, birthday uh, celebration? Let's see. I'll start it off. Happy birthday to you. Bump it up. Happy Happy birthday to you. 
Dana. Happy birthday, dear. Dear Craig and Myla, happy birthday to you. And many more. (laughs) Trust me, it's a lot better like that than all of us trying to sing all at the same time. But because of this latency thing, it just turns out to be a horrible mess. And I said that whole idea. Yeah, you did. It worked out well. It's all my fault. Yes, it was your great idea. (laughs) So, um, anyway, so happy birthday, Captain Craig and uh, First Officer Myla. Uh, a big part of our APG community. And uh, speaking of our APG community, I just mentioned on the last episode, uh, the West Coast APGers, they just started a Facebook group and they uh, just announced their first meetup. And guess what? I think only a couple of days after setting the date, they decided that we have to cancel it because of the coronavirus thing and social distancing and and such. And um, one of the uh, members of the uh, West Coast APGers. Uh, her name is Connie, and I was talking to her on the phone, and I just happened to be recording our conversation. I asked Connie uh, what she was going to be doing, um, you know, with this whole social distancing thing, distancing thing, and staying at home. I sit around and cook some soups and eat bread and desserts and just get all fat and sassy. <laughs> That's not Connie. <laughs> Are you guys there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did you understand any of that? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. My first officer today in the on the van um, showed me this. Um, <laughs> it was from some news uh, network, uh, and they had a, a lady. I'm not even sure where this was in the country, but I, I'm assuming somewhere in the south. And this lady was uh, talking about what she was going to be doing. She's, she's going to make some soups, and she's going to just eat a lot of bread and and desserts and just get fat and fancy (laughs) sorry connie i I didn't mean to use your name in vain i did not talk to her on the phone that was not connie but i thought i was i thought it'd be funny to tie it in with the uh west coast apgers but apparently that fits. i like it (laughs) thank you (laughs) appreciate it okay um Let's see. How are we doing? I guess Steph's probably still on her conference call. Yeah, she is. Okay. So let's do this. Let me uh, do the coffee fund segment. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund is your way, dear listener, viewer, to participate in our show, support it in a financial way, if you have the financial resources to do that. As we always say, if you're taking flying lessons or you need to spend that money on toilet paper and other goods that are being cleared out of the shelves of grocery stores in your community, well, don't send us any money. But if you have some extra and you want to support the show, please do consider joining the Coffee Fund Cadre. And you can do that by heading over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. Since the last episode, a couple different ways to do this. The first, the, the Coffee Fund Classic Method, we have contributions from Stefan Balmer. Uh, we just had talked about the uh, meetup that Dana and Stefan had in Syracuse. And Randy Ward. Now, Stefan, you know, you don't have to contribute to the Coffee Fund to be able to do meetups with us. Yeah. You don't really have to do that, but 
we do appreciate it. So if you want to uh, do that as well, check it out on uh, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. We also have another way to do it. It's called Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. No new, na- no new activity in that respect, but it's a great way to support the show. So check it out again, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Incoming message. All right, I'm going to start the uh, feedback segment. And uh, first three items that we have in the feedback folder, guys, are um, items that kind of deal with the um, the uh, COVID nineteen, the uh, coronavirus. And I'm trying to pull up the. Oh, I'm in the wrong folder. That's why. Okay, I'm sorry. That's why I'm confused. First item is from Dave. And uh, he sent this uh, little cartoon comic strip kind of uh, funny, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, And I think it's pretty funny, actually. Uh, He says, Jeff thought this was pretty funny. Best to you and the crew. Cheers. Listener Dave. And, um, oh, I think I have um, a way of showing everybody on the stream, the video stream, this this, uh, cartoon. Here we go. it's so at the top, it shows a, in the inside of an airplane and people that have kind of um, different expressions, uh, some shocked, some uh, fearful, etc., cetera, uh, because they're hearing the pilot making a PA. This is your pilot speaking. I'm working from home today. Yeah, <laughs> not something you probably want to hear when you're on the airplane in the air. Um, so uh, thank you. Uh, Dave for sending that in. It's always good to have humor in these kind of tough times. Um, Certainly. Moshe uh, from Israel sent in some audio feedback. So I'm going to play that next item two. Hi, APG crew. It's Moshe from Israel here. Today was uh, an incredibly sad and difficult day for me, but listening to APG really cheered me up. So let me just fill you in on what's been happening over here on, uh, on our end of the world. I work in flight operations at Acme Israel, which has taken an absolutely tremendous blow by the whole COVID-19 coronavirus crisis. A couple of weeks ago, the Israeli government required that all passengers arriving from any country uh, now have to go into 14 days of quarantine upon arrival. So basically, our entire operation ground to a halt. And what started out a little while ago as suspension of flights to Beijing has quickly cascaded into a system-wide shutdown. And now we only have about five flights a day, basically just an essential lifeline that we're keeping running into and out of the country. Anyway, as a result of all this, Acme Israel furloughed about 80% of its employees. That's around 5,000 of my colleagues, and that just happened today. Uh, I'm actually one of the lucky ones who are staying on, at least for now. Uh, I think my current duties and responsibilities mostly consist at this point of turning off the light if I'm the last one to leave the airline. Uh, Yesterday, one of my coworkers forwarded me a meme uh, and I think it was spot on. So let me just share that with you. It said, it said like this, want to know how it feels being an airline employee during the coronavirus pandemic. Remember when the Titanic was sinking and the band continued to play? That's us. 
And that's really exactly how it feels. Anyway, after a, such a horrible day in the office, on my way home, I was listening to APG episode 414.5. And during that episode with Miami Rick, he announced that he'll be back on the show. And it made me so happy to hear that. Really, really made my day. So I want to thank Miami Rick and Captain Jeff and the APG crew for, for being by my side during this difficult time. I really hope that Acme Israel, as well as the entire APG community, pulls through this crisis and uh, look forward to sharing good times ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, so nice to send that audio feedback. And uh, I'm glad that we, in some way, help people you know, feel better about what's going on in this world. And uh, we uh, plan on being here for as long as it takes. Uh, to provide entertainment and information to all of you out there. Absolutely, and and I'm and I'm truly thankful and humbled by your by your kind words. I I, I truly am, and uh, yeah, I mean these 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 tough these are tough times for everyone. Um, but uh, we will pull through. We'll come. We'll we'll come out the other side you know, stronger, and um, things things will come. We'll go back to to normalcy here before 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 long. I can I can promise. Yeah, see that. I'm confident of it as well. I think most of us are, which is good. Um, and then continuing uh, with this next one, item three from Jonathan. He says, Dear Captain Jeff and Captain Dana, I'm an Acme frequent flyer who is not who is not flying these days, and I'm totally bummed out about it. But it's for the best of all of us. That said, I want you and all of the APG community working for the airlines to know that I'm thinking about you, hoping for the best, and looking forward to the day when I can spend my dollars patronizing your airlines and enjoying my time in the skies. I'm hoping that day comes very soon. I'm so glad we are all still able to talk aviation on this podcast, even if very few of us will be flying. Jonathan in Minneapolis. Thank you. And we got a lot of those kind of uh, um, emails from a lot of you in the community expressing your concern for us. And, uh, you know, but we're, we're going to keep a good attitude here with this. And we're going to continue to talk aviation and have some fun and uh, trying to entertain you all out there. You know, I posted on uh, on the company website something to this effect that right right now we're going through a turbulent time that we have to have the seatbelts sign on. But in the very near future, hopefully that seatbelt sign will be turned back off. You know, that's that's kind of the way I'm taking this. And, and certainly, uh, you know, Jonathan and the rest of the community, um, I'm at I'm at the highest risk here uh, for some effect to me, but not nearly the risk of the other people like Moshe and uh, other people throughout the entire industry that are really facing some pretty dire uh, circumstances. Um, I my hats off to the, all of those people that are that are that are suffering, and you know I I, I see uh, you know the sad faces even. Uh, you know, at, at the hotel last night that, that they came in that morning and laid off uh, about three quarters of the workforce. And then uh, the hotel, uh, you know, the uh, restaurants right around the hotel and are all being closed down. Uh, so it, the, the second biggest workforce in, here in the United States of America, which is uh, restaurant workers next to federal workers, uh, you know, they're all uh, being heavily hit and they tend to be the most uh, 
uh, most dependent on, you know, on, you know, day-to-day tips and, and, and working very hard. So, you know, it's not only our aviation community that's being affected, but it's all the other folks out there. And, and uh, I get my friend that owns a restaurant and he's like, come out. And so I have a mortgage still to pay. I get the restaurant to run. I've got all this food. Please, please support your restaurant. So, you know, that's, that's for our, you know, my message to our community is that, yeah, we, you know, Jeff and I and, and, and others in this, in this community are going to suffer, but there are far, far worse off people out there and, and, you know, try to think of those people and support them if you can. Uh, for instance, here at the hotel that I'm saying, this is the second night now. Um, uh, in between, we we flew to Atlanta and back, and we're back here at the uh, beautiful um, Marriott Marquis um, Hotel in, in downtown Houston. Um, so last night, I was with my first officer in the uh, bar that's connected to the part of the hotel uh, last night, and uh, we were like one of only a handful of people that were there. Um, and then they said that they were thinking that uh, the mayor of Houston was going to shut down all of the restaurants and places where people gather uh, in the in town. And sure enough, in the middle of the night when I was sleeping, I got the little notice that slipped under my door that saying uh, that uh, the uh, th- that actually has occurred now. And uh, so I knew that when I was going to come back here, that there was not going to be a place for us to go eat, that we were going to have to order room service. So I went down, but you know, you have a couple of options. You can order room service, they can deliver it to your room, or you can just stand downstairs and, you know, by the front desk and they can cook it in their kitchen and then hand it to you when they're finished. And I said, uh, so why don't we do this? I I could stand down here for a few minutes waiting for it, save a couple of bucks, but have them, you know, deliver it to my room because I know that the person that's delivering it is going to be expecting a tip and at least I can help this one person out, you know, in a, in a small way, uh, then instead of trying to save, you know, five or 10 bucks of, you know, just not, uh, having somebody deliver it to my room. So that's the kind of thing that we can do. I mean, it's not a big thing, but I think it all adds up. So try to support the people out there that are, you know, not making big bucks, uh, to begin with. And, uh, you know, think about ordering stuff and supporting your local, uh, community in regard to these types of things. Yeah. I mean, like last night with the, uh, the uh, the wait waitress, um, I gave her a, a, a super tip. I mean, mm-hmm. I gave her a very large tip, um, knowing that it's going to be her last um, table that uh, you know last evening she's going to be working for probably a month or more. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I didn't break the bank giving her a tip, but I right. you know certainly you know yeah we we're compensated very well and and we should be you know kind of helping other people that aren't compensated so well. I think. That's my yeah, opinion. Absolutely, I think I think we all agree with that. Um, uh, you know, same token, I'm I'm in the, the saving mode because I don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. with me. So you know, yeah, I'm, so I'm having to be. That's a good discussion right now. That you know that some of these companies like ours and other airlines are are, are formulating uh, programs for like early retirement and that kind of thing. And people have been asking, well, are you going to take you know one of those programs? And I'm thinking, well, you know, that would have been an attractive thing for me. However, I looked at my 401k and saw that uh, it's lost, you know, uh, a good chunk of its value. And I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to go right, right now. Um, but it depends. Maybe if the retirement program that they offer is, uh, you know, is is reasonable, I might just, you know, kind of step out of the way and let uh, other people have a have a chance of, uh, you know, making uh, a good career of it. And uh, bringing on some of those people, I think we I just saw somebody in our chat room, in fact, uh, Paul says that Acme canceled his in class. So apparently uh, he was just about to start his training 
at uh, at Acme, and uh, now it's going to be put off. But I can assure you, Paul, that um, if you've gotten this far, uh, you're you're going to be okay. I mean, this is going to pass. We've mentioned that several times already on this show, and we will continue to do so. This is a this is a major speed bump that uh, right now that we're experiencing. But once that speed bump is over and everything starts recovering, I think we're going to see amazingly good. Uh, growth financially and and uh, job growth and everything else. So I think I think we're going to be okay. It's just making it through this tough period. That's going to be the key and keeping a positive attitude about this stuff and trying to keep your humor as best you can. I still don't get the toilet paper. <laughs> I, I don't. Well, you can't. I, I got a really else funny photo. <laughs> What's that? I said well, you can't get it because everybody else did already. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who sent me. Oh, here it is. Uh, remember the uh, um, the movie Outbreak? Mm-hmm. All right, so they have a picture of Dustin Hoffman. You can't really see it here, but I'll explain it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman leading in the yellow suits, completely you know, completely covered up with the face mask and everything. And so uh, they're walking around. And says they're all dead. Yeah, but did you notice how clean their blank were? <laughs> Referring to a yeah. butt. Yes. Oh, I think <laughs> so, most of us get that. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really perplexed and, and, and I've been very interactive with my passengers walking back and talking to them. Hey, say, you know, thank you for flying with us. Spreading um, the virus as much as possible. It's spreading as much as I can because I'm coughing. Yeah. Um, nice. No, I've been only been coughing since the first week in January. That's oh. it. So I've been back and forth with my doctor. Oh, so you've had one. it for quite some time. Then. <laughs> I've had it, you know, I've, and I've fully recovered, but I've been going on the whole time. So just as I said earlier, just, you know, practice common sense. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, wash your hands. Be, 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 be mindful of, of your interactions. You know, don't, don't go touching handrails and, you know, doorknobs mm-hmm. and stuff. You don't need to, you know, watch. just, just, just stay healthy. And, and this, and, you know, soon enough, this whole thing will, I, I'm, I, th- from what I, from what I'm reading and what I'm, what I'm seeing here, the, the steps that that have been taken um, to, you know, kind of curb this whole situation are starting to take some effect. Um, and uh, I, I hope that, you know, inside of three weeks to a month, this whole thing will be a thing of the past. And now after that happens, you know, things are going to, things are bound to come back to normal. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. like, like, like Dana was saying, obviously we're going through a bit of a, you know, turbulence, turbulent uh, patch of air here so what 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 do you do when you go through turbulent air you know you you, you slow down turn the seatbelt signs on and you know just wait it out until it till things smooth out again and then once once you get to the other side you know go back to normal speed mm-hmm. turn the seatbelt signs to, to off and then you know return to normalcy and that's uh that's what what that's what i see happening here before the before the the not too distant future yeah the the, the scary part rick though is is all of this turbulence it's causing a lot of uh, ripple effects throughout the entire world. In the oh, absolutely! And, and you know, I fear for uh, those companies and those folks that are not in a uh, excellent position to be able to survive. Uh, and you know, they're they're friends of this podcast. That, oh, absolutely! That may you know directly be affected. That we are we're 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 concerned about oh, so yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely right and, but, and yeah. you know the, the 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 fear that i have though is that now that the pandora's box has been opened how easy it is for this to be another uh, a continuing uh trend going forward with the media outlets and social media 
uh, attributes that can easily overreact to almost anything. In the or world. maybe it'll have the opposite effect and people will learn a lesson from this. Uh, I hope you're right. Yeah, I really too. hope you're right. You I, know, can I can tell you what, I mean, I, I, I don't even, I, I barely even look at Facebook anymore at all. I can't be bothered with it. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes things can kind of get a little out of control when people are feeding each other. And um, I mean, it's important for uh, social media does have a role, but I think uh, sometimes um, it, it just gets a little out of control. And, and I guess the best thing to do is do what you're doing, Dana. And, and I've done the same thing, just kind of back away from it and say, you know, what? I don't, I don't need to be a part of that. And uh, you know, but just move on and try to put a, put a good, positive face on everything as much as you can. I was just thinking about the social distancing thing. <laughs> I think the uh, work environment that I uh, work in and uh, many of us out there flying airline uh, airliners for a living, especially <laughs> in the airplane, like the mad dog, Dana and I, what you, how far apart are we when we're sitting in the cockpit? Maybe 36 inches. Yeah. Like three feet. <laughs> it's like not yep. six feet, only three feet. So I only take, I only take half the breaths that I normally do and exhale, you know, uh, no, I'm just kidding. We we're just like okay. We're I hope that you don't have anything, and uh, I hope that I don't have anything, and we're not spreading it to each other. Well, which is it's, it's part of the bigger bigger conversation. I mean, I, for for up until this whole thing happened, I loved that it happened because I can I can assure you I've gone to the restroom in the Atlanta airport and also in our crew lounge only to witness people using the facilities and never going to wash their hands after they're done. Now you know me. I'm the complete opposite because, mm -hmm. you know, I put the baggie on the, the, uh, on the remote control in the hotel room. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm actually not a germaphobe uh, cause I don't, it doesn't freak me out, but I am a, you know, I, I care to be particularly clean. So I always wash my hands and that's always been the case. So actually there's a very big positive side to this. And I think, and I hope that people continue to, Really, I mean, now, you know, it, at the airport, it was always, you know, if it was busy in the bathroom, it was always a line to get to the the, the urinal or the, the toilet, right? And never a line to go wash your hands. What, what You know, what's that saying? Now, it's always a line to go wash your hands. So yeah. I, I'm only hoping that, that people really will will change their ways. <laughs> Sadly. I mean, I thought the same thing for 9-11 and people like you go, if you're, if you're somebody of faith and you go to church and he's like, well, they were I packed. Know. I mean, everybody, you couldn't find a place to sit down and I think, yeah. wow, this is really changing the world. And then it didn't take long before everybody got back to the I way they, they were before. So I'm trying to be uh, hopeful. I know. I'm trying I, to be positive. I, I like that. <laughs> I like hopefulness because I'm a very hopeful person as yeah. well. Uh, the people that know me know what I'm talking about. So, well, you know what? I think, um, that's enough, at least for this episode, talking about COVID nineteen and sorry. how it's been affected. No, no, I think I'm it's sorry. It's, I, took, I ran no, away with it. We my, had, my my doctor came out to me. <laughs> We're being, our our director is directing us to move on to new subjects. So that's what we're going to do. Looks like uh, Steph is still busy with her call, so we're going to move on to uh, item number four in the feedback folder, and this is from Greg, and he says, "Hey, crew." I know that you guys and gal talk about CRM frequently. I thought this was an interesting article and this is from avweb.com. And again, that's Greg Peterson from the big ass fan company uh, from avweb in an effort to mitigate incidents of unprofessional pilot behavior and reduce pilot errors that can lead to a catastrophic catastrophic event. The FAA on Monday published changes to training requirements for airline pilots. 
It emphasizes training and testing in the leadership aspects of the flight deck and sets formal goals for mentorship of new flight crews. This action requires air carriers to provide new hire pilots with an opportunity to observe flight operations and become familiar with procedures before serving as a flight crew member in operations, to revise the upgrade curriculum, and to provide leadership and command and mentoring training for all pilots in command. The changes become effective on April 27th of this year, with compliance required over the next two or three years. The FAA says that while the cost of compliance will be $90 million over the uh, next 10 years, the airlines will see a cost savings of $95.5 million on the basis of increased safety. According to the FAA, a problem still exists in the aviation industry with some pilots acting unprofessionally and not adhering to standard operating procedures, including the sterile flight deck rule. The NTSB has continued to cite inadequate leadership in the flight deck, pilots' unprofessional behavior, and pilots' failure to comply with the sterile flight deck rule as factors in multiple accidents and incidents, including Pinnacle Airlines Flight 3701 and Colgan Air Flight 3407. Now, the uh, 2004 Pinnacle uh, crash involved a Northwest Northwest Airlink regional jet. I think it was a – was it a RJ200, Dana? Yes, it I was think. 200. Uh, they suffered dual-engine flameouts after a pilot-induced aerodynamic stall and were unable to be restarted. Both pilots were killed. Uh, there were no passengers on board. I think it was a ferry or repositioning flight. It was a repositioning flight, and they took the airplane up beyond its its rated. Let's see what happens when we do this. You uh, know, this thing that we're not supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. Gonna, it's frustrating. Do you want me to say anything? Or you want me? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. This is really aimed at a certain level of maturity, people. If you think about the regionals, all right, much younger, and I, and I can speak to this because when I was younger, I was far less mature, okay? So it had a tendency probably, and this would be great for regionals and, and new, new, new captains to go through, but I don't see this being very relevant for the most part at a 121 mage carrier. I really don't. And we do this anyway at, at, at ACME at least. And we do. Um, and you and and, and I've and said this. Points, I've said this many times over the years that I've been on the show. Is that I have learned from my predecessors. Now, of course, now I'm a captain, but I have learned from the captains I've flown with that were excellent, and the ones that okay, I would never do that. I've learned. To, yeah, yeah, you. I would never do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not actually true, but <laughs> Jeff is is a, a fantastic role model. Um, but I've modeled myself from those people that I've flown with before. That at the maturity level and in the, in the, in the professionalism that we have, for the most part, you can't you can't say everybody at every carrier at every every job that you ever been involved with always have been the same and professional and so forth. There are you know you get your odd apples, but those odd apples need to be be weeded out you know everybody there's a term i just don't want to say on the radio so i'm going to skip it um but i was going to say everybody poo-poos in one person poo-poos and everybody wears a diaper okay mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and that is especially at the major or the at least the more mature level uh, above the age group of you know mid-20s right tend to be a far more mature level of of aviator 
Rick? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And 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 the, the the truth here is that, as you say, Dana, when something someone kind of screws the pooch, then we all have to we all end up paying for it. Um, and uh, it's I, I feel like it's yeah. I mean, I've I, I agree with you as well. And when when you talk about uh, and it's funny because I actually I've, I've, I did this up until you know not too long ago. Uh, and before the first time I upgraded, um, you keep a list of the things that you want to emulate, you know, the, the, the good things you want to, you know, incorporate into your, you know, a bag of tricks and the things that you would, you know, never do and, and, and think to yourself, you know, how in the heck is this person even sitting there? You know, (laughs) know. that list is usually a lot longer than the first list. Yes. (laughs) I mean, a lot of times I'm going really, and and these are these are these are judgment calls that shouldn't even be an issue. You know, this is just common sense stuff, and 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 these are people sometimes that, and I also find that a, a lot of times the really really senior captains are the more I guess lax when it comes to um, standard operating procedures and. For I mean I I know that a lot of people know what SOPs are, but you know for for those that don't, the standard standard operating procedures are are basically the way the aircraft is operated because you have a pool of sometimes you know two three four five thousand pilots that have never met each other, probably never flown together, and the only way to make sure that they are both on the same page as far as operating the aircraft safely is by following the same set of guidelines and. And really, that that the only thing that keeps that ball in play in you know in 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 the court, we, you know, and and along that the proper lane is adherence to those SOPs. Once you start you know drifting away from that and kind of you know do, doing it your own way, it the 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 flight just kind of breaks down, and so does the safety factor in it. So so. Uh, but I tell you, I mean, a lot of times these these older captains are 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 you know the the the, the problem. Oh, shut up, you youngster. Older captains, <laughs> Jeff. Older captains. Yeah, I want to I want I want to ask this question of Doctor Steph. In 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 the, sure, in the I, for for those who are, are listening only, I'm, I was away for about an hour there on a uh, work phone call, um, which we'll not talk about at the moment. So I'm not really sure what we're talking about. But go work, with your question, work, and I will work, do what I can work, to work 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 work. work. What's your question, Dana? We were talking about SOPs and professionalism and the desire of the FAA to try to mitigate unprofessionalism through training. I get that. You know, we at ACME have a higher level of professional training. So what about in the doctor's world? I mean, how do you, how do you maintain standards? How do you, I mean, you, 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 you always hear the, 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 the adage, you know, this doctor has really good bedside manners and in, in, in is professional, right? Then you get the guy that's, you know, the lady that's just kind of off the cuff, right? You know, it's, it's in that sense, I, I talk a lot about how aviation and medicine have parallels in a lot of places. In that sense, there are a lot of differences as well, because um, there's a lot of medicine that's still an art as well. So you can take, uh, for instance, I work with a lot of surgeons. You can take two surgeons who both do spine-related things, and you're going to find that they have a different approach to the same patient every single time. Um, it doesn't mean that one of them is necessarily right or wrong. Um, you'll find that one is just very... Um, it, like you said, it's kind of this je ne sais quoi, you can't put your finger on it. This this 
surgeon is excellent with their bedside manner. And the other one is just like, you can't stand talking to the, to the guy or gal. Um, and that's just an individual thing. And it's, it's far less standardized, I would say. Um, I think a lot of um, folks, no matter what industry you're in, um, have maybe more recently than others, um, you know, everything that you do is a customer service thing. So even if you're only interacting with your colleagues, you know, you still on some sense and some level have to be professional with them. You have to be um, willing to listen to um, not opposing viewpoints per se, but if someone's got a question, a concern, they're bringing up something for a safety reason, uh, you want to be able to not be either intimidating. You need to let that person say what they're going to say about it. If it's a safety issue, you need to be able to um, be able to consider where they're coming from. So there's a lot that goes into professionalism, and we've we've touched on that before, um, actually quite a bit. But it's yeah, it, it always comes down to the the individual, and you can try and standardize things as much as possible, which makes perfect sense. Um, just like Rick was saying, for if you're flying with someone who you've never flown with before, and you're never going to see them again, and and things must on average happen the same way every single time. You want to know what to expect from the other person. You want to know what to expect from their in their job role. Um, and that, that happens in our, our field too, in medicine to some extent, but yeah. So is it, is it fair, is it, for you. <laughs> is it fair to say then that there's standard operating procedures in hospitals when you said, mentioned surgeons, right? That when a surgeon goes into an operating room, nurses are set up in a certain way, generally speaking. And yeah, that, we, know, we actually do something that's along the lines of individual preferences, but those things are all written down and it's known in advance. So when, Surgeon A walks into the room, their preference card is pulled, you know what equipment they're going to be using, you know what they're um, what they're going to be looking for in general. Um, same thing for me. Everyone knows what medications I use. They know what volumes we use them in. It's and every, I try to do everything the same way as much as possible from an operational standpoint in terms of how I involve the other staff that have to work with me, um, even though I know there's always going to be variation in what I actually need to do for an individual patient. And that, I guess you could fly that to apply that to flights as well. You know, yeah, operationally, everything's going to work the same way amongst the staff. There's always going to be individual variables with a particular flight and you, you know, you have ways to work with that. Exactly. My point. Um, part of this um, rule or action, what is it? Um, again, the, uh, the name of this thing, uh, published changes to training requirements for all airline pilots is the something that. Uh, Acme has been doing for quite a number of years, and I think it's a great thing. Um, they want pilots that are new to a given carrier to complete operations familiarization, or OF, they use the uh, abbreviation, before beginning operating experience and serving as a pilot in Part 121 operations for the air carrier. The FAA proposed that the operations familiarization must include at least two operating cycles during part 121 operations conducted by the air carrier while the newly hired pilot occupies the flight deck observer seat and uses a headset to listen to the communications between the required flight crew members and air traffic control. Uh, so this is something, as I said, we, uh, and I wasn't, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, well, I know we used to do that. I'm not sure if we still do, but we do. In fact, Shortly after I read this, uh, in Omaha, I was getting off the airplane and I noticed, uh, this crew waiting to take the jet back to Atlanta. And, uh, there was a guy there and he said, Hey, meet, uh, meet this new guy. He's uh, on his observing, um, observers, something or rather, I forgot what we call it at Acme, but, uh, he was going to, he was riding with that crew for that 
entire rotation. And so he was getting to real, you know, see the real world of flying and not just the, you know, the, the theoretical world of, uh, part 121 mm. operations and, and actually going with them to the hotel for a layover. And so it was good stuff. And I'm glad that we still do that. And I'm thinking most of the stuff like, you know, going the captain's in command, uh, school that we go through Dana. I mean, that's stuff that mm-hmm. we've been doing at Acme for quite a number of years. And I guess I just assumed everybody else was doing it as well. And apparently not. No, and that's exactly my point. Is that the level of maturity at 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 our at our company? And when I say maturity, I mean the maturity of the company itself and the way that we conduct business mm-hmm. uh, is 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 you know certainly in excess of what the FAA is recommending. Mm-hmm. It's the airlines that you know you have the, the the new guys and girls coming off of being flight instructors that have never seen one twenty one, and you know to a certain extent, you know military guys that are coming. And girls, I should say, guys and girls uh, that are coming to 121, that coming straight out of the military to, you know, fly mainline, uh, big big jets. You know, they they definitely need this because they they're not used to what it's like to fly passenger aircraft around and deal with our, our aviation system and in and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, we've been doing it forever, and it's a fantastic it's it's a fantastic. Well, I have to say that um, that's tr- pretty much true regarding the military. But I came from the world of um, flying the C one forty one, so it was basically what I was doing was. Ba- uh, airline flying in the military. And mm-hmm. in fact, I would say that the Air Force at that time in the 80s was ahead of Acme Airlines in the 80s as far as crew resource management. And uh, because there were still a lot of uh, p- captains in those days in the 80s that were the king. And you don't do anything mm-hmm. unless I tell you to do it. You know what I'm talking about, right, Rick? Where, no, you know, you, you, fly, or maybe uh, you do as well, Dana, that, uh, it was it, the structure, the, uh, organizational structure, if you, uh, if you can put it that way, uh, in the cockpit was, uh, definitely skewed to, you know, the captain being king. And, you know, I, I don't want to hear anything out of you unless I ask you kind of environment. And I thought, wow, that's kind of foreign to me because in the U.S. Air Force, I was already, uh, in an environment where everybody on the crew had a say in not necessarily the the final say, but at least they had a responsibility to pipe up when something didn't look mm-hmm. right. And they, you know, th- their suggestions were taken uh, seriously. And, uh, you know, and, that, and a good aircraft commander would take everybody's input and then make the final decision. And that's the way really it is now. So, um, you know, I, I was kind of surprised when I came to Acme 31 years ago that it was definitely moving in that direction at that point when things were getting much, much better. But now, you know, the last 20, 25 years has been, you know, very, very uh, good as far as standard operating procedures and, and, you know, going from one cockpit to another, another, you know, one crew member to another crew member, you feel like you're all on the same page and everybody's doing it just the way everybody else is. So it's much, much safer, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, so thank you, Greg, for uh, making us aware of that. Again, if you want to read more about that, um, that new thing, uh, training requirement, you can uh, check it out in the show notes. Steph, you were gone when we were doing our getting to know us segment. Uh, so um, I know that you have been up to quite a bit since the last episode. You know, you've been traveling a bit anyway. So why don't you tell us about that? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I actually did join, get to join you guys on Saturday. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, so you told us yeah. a little about what you were doing. So I was I was traveling at that point. I was not planning on joining you on Saturday because the whole reason for going to New York in the first place was to do a lot of running-related uh, things, and almost none of those things happened uh, because of uh, current situation in the world with coronavirus. Um, but the travel itself was actually very normal, I should say. Um, flights weren't particularly empty. Airports weren't particularly empty. I feel like people were actually doing a very good job, though, of trying to at least maintain reasonable distances from one another, not, you know, really crowd or stand too close in lines or in groups. Um, it was a beautiful weekend in New York City. I'm glad I went up. Um, had a chance to um, have very, very small kind of one-on-one get-togethers with uh, friends that I run with. We put in a bunch of miles, like 27 miles of running along the Hudson River and and in Central Park. So we had, we had a good time. And I mean, most of it was just just chatting and, you know, kind of sharing frustrations from, you know, we're in all different industries and, and hobbies and backgrounds and whatnot. And um, it was just nice to be able to kind of exercise and vent at the same time. You get all your frustrations out at once. So that was, that was really nice. Um, a good meal before they really closed down all the uh, restaurants in New York City and and uh, New Jersey area there. And then, uh, yeah, came home on Sunday night and worked on Monday. Um, we were kind of unsure what the work situation was going to look like here. Um, unlike the, uh, our situation is a little bit different from what's going on with the airlines in that, um, well, from my standpoint, and, and I just got off a very long phone call about what our, our plans are going to be and trying to put things in place because this is something so different that we really don't have good contingency plans for a problem like this. And it's trying to figure out who do we see, who needs to be seen, what needs to be done, where are the priorities? Um, how do you conserve resources? Um, you know, every time I go in to do a procedure, I'm using some personal protective equipment. So gloves, masks, things like that. You want to make sure that you have those things available and you're not, you know, uh, causing a burden on the system by doing things that are unnecessary. Um, so, uh, Yesterday was very normal. Um, I probably saw 75% of my usual clinic schedule at work. Today was pretty light. It was all procedures. And um, as of tomorrow, we are not going to be doing any elective procedures for the next two and a half weeks. So that's pretty much everything that I do. With a few exceptions, you know, we're, we're really being tasked to, this is where you use your common sense. You have to go through, you have to really take a look at the patients you do know. You have to take a look at um, um, people who might be new patients, but have something that sounds serious enough to warrant to be seen in person versus on the phone or via video. And we actually do have all of that available as technology resources these days. So we can, we can really do a lot to keep things kind of up and running, or at least um, postpone things as much as practical um, until this situation resolves. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I don't think I'm going to be um, sitting around doing doing nothing, fortunately. And I think fortunately for our staff and whatnot, we're going to still be very busy in terms of fielding phone calls and trying to make sure that our patients' needs are met. Excellent. So, I was going to try and go flying this week. I don't know if that's going to happen either now <laughs> with all this other stuff going on. Keep trying to get back in. It's like, ugh, Yeah, geez. you'll get there eventually. Going up. Yeah, so yeah. Did, it's one of those things did you have happen. a chance to see any APGers in uh, New York? I did, yes. And actually, you know what? I have audio and I'm terrible because I didn't send it to you. I've been oh, so busy. Okay. Um, Sorry, Tanya. Um, I'll send that to you. We can edit it in after if you if you want. Or, okay, or, or we can or play, play it on, on the next, next show. Yeah. yeah, I did. Um, so Saturday, one of the things we had planned to do—no, Sunday—one of the things we had planned to do after the 
the race that was supposed to happen. Uh, we were going to have a APG get up, uh, get together with Tanya um, and her significant other, Philip, at their beautiful apartment, um, which is uh, which overlooks Central Park. So it was very nice of them to to host that. Uh, we were planning to have several other APG community members there, and it ended up just being myself, Tanya, and Philip um, for for good reasons. Everyone was just trying to do their best part to maintain social distancing. Uh, so, and uh, even in, in in their place, it looks like you guys were social distancing. Well. Oh yeah, we we took a. I have a picture of. I'll uh, I'll send to you, and you can put in. Um, we were definitely sitting in far corners of the room, so we didn't have to <laughs> share germs or anything. But yeah. we still had a good time. We still. Um, you know, the conversation was kind of dominated by current events, I would say. But mm-hmm. um, again, nice to get together and, and kind of share some of those frustrations and and have, share some jokes and smiles and good beer and a uh, little bit of aviation talk, too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Tanya's in the chat room. She says, so cute. So cool. You could get together anyway. No, I'm sorry. It's all good. We still had a great time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I was reading the wrong comment. <laughs> My bad. Um yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Shall we continue with the feedback? Let's do it. Sure. All right. This in from first officer, Alex, he sent us some audio feedback. We always love your audio feedback. So here we go. Dear captain, Jeff and crew. I'm a long time listener and first time emailer. So this is a short email just to give you an introduction for myself and to thank you for the part that you've played in the journey to where I am today. My name is Alex, and I, like many others in your community, are totally fixated with flying. I first started listening to your podcast at 16, whilst I was a young boy at school waiting for the earliest opportunity to take to the skies. I would listen to your podcast every opportunity as it motivated me through the long days, and some of the chatter and stories you guys spoke about really helped me to prepare for interviews and get my head in the game, so to work towards the career that I was dedicated towards. When I was 17, I applied to an integrated flight school, and was amazed when they offered me an interview. For me, flying was always something that I saw as only being for a select flu, and I was over the moon to be given an opportunity. A day full of assessments and interviews, and about a week's nervous wait later, I was given an email to say I'd been accepted, the day before my 18th birthday. For me, this didn't even feel real. The thought of being able to fully dedicate the next few years of my life towards the career that I love meant the world to me, and it seemed to feel just as good as starting the job at the end. The first stage of my flight training started with six months ground school, in which time I had to complete the 14 dreaded EASA 8 EPL exams. Now let me tell you, I had just finished two years of A-levels, which are the UK school final exams, and I was expecting there to be a steady progression into this phase of education. Boy, was I wrong. I had never worked so hard in all my life, and every day just didn't seem to have enough hours in them. The subjects, as I'm sure you're all aware, cover all areas of flying. So one hour you're learning about what an aerofoil is, and the next you're learning about the workings of the inner air. I have an even greater respect for those who have long-run careers in other professions, and then drop all of that to resume education in their later life. I myself, an 18-year-old, was sat down on my first day next to a chap to my left, who was in his late 40s. I think we were both as intimidated as each other. Listening to your podcast as well was really good fun to listen to in my downtime. I remember a specific Plain Tales episode in which Captain Nick told us a story about the black hole effect, a psychological error that affects pilots flying over the sea or areas of clear land where they can struggle to see the horizon. It was especially interesting seeing as I had spent the day learning about that very phenomenon. Six months later, and after one miserable winter, I had had completed the exams, and it was time for the flying. 
For this, I was shipped across the pond to do my flying in Phoenix, Arizona. This was a lot more fun than the theory. For me, a pale English boy, I loved the opportunity to be in the sun and the opportunity to work around the fleet of around 30 aircraft and learn to fly in beautiful airspace, amazing scenery and with world-class instructors. After eight months in Phoenix, I earned my commercial pilot's licence and headed back to the south coast of the UK to work on my instrument rating. For those of you who are unsure what that means, it was to work on being able to fly an aircraft in cloud and in instrument-only flying conditions. This was something extremely new to me, as flying in Phoenix was all visual flight rules, and I didn't see cloud the entire time I was there. Furthermore, the airspace in the UK is much more complicated and dense than that of America, so it was a very strange transition. After five months of really difficult procedural flying, I was finally done. I was out the other end with an air transport pilot sizes, and all it took was 14 theoretical exams and two flying exams. This was well and fun, but now I had to start looking for a company to let me fly those big metal birds. I applied for a couple of airlines, but unfortunately, I had no luck. I even went abroad to Turkey to try for one airline, but was unsuccessful. Then one day, my life changed forever. I was offered a job as an apprentice at one of Europe's top low-cost airlines. The apprentice role involved two months going through 40 different business departments, followed by four months as cabin crew, and then six months working in their flight ops. It was amazing to see how modern-day airline works. In the first day, I was on the line supporting the engineers, and we were seeing sort of the checks that the engineers do on all the aircraft, and the next day we were in the call centre selling holidays to people, so it really was different. I was given a newfound respect for the cabin crew as well. I didn't go into cabin crew as a super name with crew member, I went in as a fully operational member of a team, and it really shows just how much they work, which is really key, I think, for a pilot to see what goes on between that four-inch bulletproof door behind us. This leads me to where I am today. So I've just finished a tight ring in the Boeing 737, and I'm scheduled for my first flight early next month. I'll be doing my first flight two days before my 22nd birthday, so it really means a lot. I just want to thank you guys for all that you do. You play such an important role for many of us in aviation, and you certainly inspired me to take up the career that I have today. I look forward to keeping you all up to date with my hopefully long aviation career. All the very best, First Officer Alex. Yay, congratulations for Fantastic. making it this far. Did he say he was only 22? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm jealous. <laughs> Man, that is so great. Thank you, Alex. start. Yes, very much so. And you know what? He had some bumps in the road and he didn't give up. And uh, that's uh, we hear that story a lot, actually. Um, so that's uh, good advice for people out there who are wanting to do this career field. And he said, also, if there's any way I can help with anyone you might know looking to start a career in aviation and looking for some advice, please don't hesitate to have them contact him. So, um, great. Yeah. Alex Grease, uh, Gris, Grease, G-R-Y-S. Not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, thank you, Alex. Very cool. Um, that was interesting. He said, a pale English boy in Phoenix. He loved uh, the sun. <laughs> That's oh, okay. I can imagine the sunburn. Imagine the sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Um, I lo- it looks like I skipped one of the items. I didn't not. I didn't mean to. Uh, item number five in our uh, feedback. Um, this is from Tim Needham. Uh, he lives uh, not too far from uh, Captain Nick. Again, who, if you're just joining us, uh, wasn't able to make us uh, make the show today because he is feeling a little unwell. Um, he's not sure if he has the 
coronavirus or if it's just a different strain of flu or something, but he is not feeling good enough to be with us here today. So uh, we will, however, hear his voice when we play uh, this week's ins- installment of The Plain Tales. But uh, Tim writes, Dear APG crew, greetings from Hampshire, somewhere where uh, near Captain Nick, I guess. As a new listener to your excellent podcast, I would like to know how you all met. I know Jeff and Dana work for Acme, but how did Nick and Dr. Steph become involved? I apologize if you discussed this in earlier podcasts, but a refresher for new listeners would be appreciated. Kind regards, Tim. All right, so we'll try to do this as quickly as we can. Um, So I started a podcast called Catholic Pilot back in September of 2009, I believe. I was on a layover in Memphis when I did my first show, and I did the Catholic Pilot podcast for about a year and a half, uh, realizing almost immediately that um, people listening to the show really wanted to hear about the aviation stuff. So I decided about a year and a half in to rebrand the show to what it is now, Airline Pilot Guy. And I continued to do the show solo uh, for many, many years, Um, I guess uh, until about, uh, about a total of close to six years. I did it by myself. Now, a little um, one-off that we did in uh, with Dana in 2013, I believe it was very close to either on Halloween or very close to that uh, time frame. Uh, Dana joined me for a show. and then, um, But I continued to do the show solo until 2015 when um, in January of that year, I was on a layover in Charlotte and I asked – um, Dr. Steph, if she wanted to join me uh, in recording the show. Again, it was just I think gonna... my initial answer was no. Was it? <laughs> I think I was like, no. Okay, oh, okay. I don't remember that. I was like, oh, wait, you're, we'll have beer? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But we had, we had met a couple of times before that because she had written in saying, hey, uh, Jeff, you know, you talk about beer and stuff and North Carolina beer is just amazing and I want to show you what we have to offer. And so uh, two or three times before we before Steph joined right. for the show, we we, uh, we had chatted in person a number of times. Yeah, so it wasn't like a, a a first time thing. But again, I was at that point. I was not in the mindset of oh, we should do a kind of a panel kind of a show. It was just kind of yeah, I'm here a long layover, and I don't know what your work schedule is like. But I knew that she did work not too far from the hotel I was staying in on that particular layover. I think I was on call that night. I think we had to interrupt the show at one point so I could take a phone call. Yeah, too, I think so. If I remember right. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so that was like January 23rd, I believe. And then um, a couple of, um, about two months later in March of uh, 2015, same kind of thing. Yes, Seth? Oh, I was going to say, I think this is like almost exactly Rick's five-year anniversary of his first appearance on the show. Yeah, it's pretty darn close. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. I don't like remember. by a couple days. Oh, oh for, wow. Give or uh, take. Yeah. I think I think you're right, Steph. So same sort of thing. Uh, um, Rick had been sending in a little audio bits, uh, audio feedback now and then, and um, I think I think little? the first, yeah. <laughs> and Short. so I mean, he had no. become, he had sent enough feedback in that everybody he was kind of a already a character on the APG. Um, so, but he wasn't a, a permanent host of the of the show because I was the permanent host of the show, and I was really the only host. Uh, but the same sort of thing that we did with Steph, I, uh, I was in the Miami area. We were doing meetups and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd met in per, uh, Rick in person several times. And I said, hey, I'm going to be there for 
another really long layover in Miami. And he said, you know, we had already planned a meetup, I think, for that afternoon. And he said, I'm not working today. And so, you know, I can pick you up from the hotel and take, I think we're, our meetup was out near the Miami International Airport. And uh, so I wasn't sure exactly how we were going to get out there. And he said, I can pick you up and drive you out there. And um, and uh, we were going to meet up with Nick Acosta. And I forget, it was like a little dive bar um, on the north side of the uh, airport. I forgot what the name of the place is. Um, and it turns out that I think it was just you, Rick, and uh, Nick Acosta and, and myself. I don't, I don't think it was a big meetup. Anyway, yeah. um, so I said, well, as long as you're going to be – you're not doing anything and you're going to pick me up anyway – uh, are you interested in doing, um, you know, a show with me? And he said, sure. So, um, that was again, uh, around this time, uh, in March about five years ago. And then, so after that, uh, good, um, by the way, great, um, audience, um, uh, support and feedback and positive, um, what am I looking for? People were really excited when I had other people on the show, just to show you that they were just tired of hearing me talk on and on and on just by myself. And, I mean, and it's ruined their sleep in the meantime, but th- that's true. Yeah, it used to be very easy to uh, go to sleep with just my voice, but now you're hearing all these other voices and it kind of wakes you up, startles you a little bit, I think. But uh, so but with Dana's appearance, with Steph's appearance, with Rick's appearance. And uh, so I, I don't remember, it's kind of fuzzy after all of that, but at the same time I was doing another show for um, a Catholic podcasting network. That's how I got into podcasting and started the Catholic pilot show and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was called Catholic weekend. It's a panel show. Uh, I was familiar with doing this kind of thing that we're doing now. And I thought to myself, huh, a lot of positive feedback. I'm already doing a show very similar to this, um, but n- not an aviation show. Why not do it for the aviation, the airline pilot guy show. And so I really didn't expect, um, you know, Rick and Steph to say, oh yeah, we'd be, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to join you as often as possible on a regular basis. I, you know, cause I just kind of threw that out there. I said, I don't know if you guys are, you know, willing to, to commit to something like this, but would you be interested? And they were both, yeah, sure. That sounds good. So we started uh, doing the show, just the three of us for the rest of the year, rest of 2015, I guess. And, um, yeah, like 50 something episodes, I think. Yeah. 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 Or not. Well, yeah. Fewer than that, but. Then at some point, I think it was in the summertime, this guy named Captain Nick called himself the old curmudgeon started, um, (laughs) started sending us in stuff, all very positive. Uh, he loved the Yanks. I'm being very sarcastic. And and (laughs) Rick's love of Boeing. Yes. And Rick's love of Boeing. That was all, all, all. Yeah. Airbus guy, uh, flying, we can say now who he flies for or used to fly for Virgin Atlantic. And, uh, so he started doing the same thing that, that Rick was doing and setting in audio feedback. And, uh, he was becoming a character on the show. And, um, we had a special episode in January of 2016 in Miami, a big surprise party. Just check, check out, uh, episode 200 and then you'll see me after many, many beers, uh, get a little weepy at the end of it. Uh, not my best moment, but, uh, while we were down there, there was a big surprise, Nick and pilot Pip and, uh, captain Al plane safety podcasts, uh, podcast, uh, came over with Nick. So the three of them came over from the UK, uh, to Miami. And, uh, it was a big surprise thing, uh, for me. 
and uh, they, they all kept it very quiet. And it was the first time in my life that I've ever had anybody surprise me like that. And we had a great <laughs> – that uh, two or three days, I'm not sure how long it was. It was kind of a blur. <laughs> we had a lot to drink. Uh, during that time, a few drinks, yeah, a few, a few drinks. drinks, yeah, a couple, very in moderation, refreshments, exactly. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And uh, so while we while we were all there, um, I, I took uh, Steph and Rick aside and said, "What would you think about you know inviting Nick to be a host on the show as well?" And they both they they didn't hesitate. They both said, "No, are you kidding me? It would ruin the show." No, they didn't. They didn't <laughs> yeah. say that. They, they both that's when they said when you were considering me. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I took Nick aside while we were there in January in, in Miami in uh, 2016. And I asked if he would be um, interested in joining us as a permanent uh, host. And he said, I'd be honored. Um, so he became part of our uh, permanent uh, group of co hosts. And, uh, Let's see. Fast forward to about about the same time of year, about October of 2016, and I hear somebody yelling at me in the Atlanta airport um, in the uh, B Spine food court area, and uh, it was Dana, and he and and he said, "Hey, uh, Jeff, uh, you know, what's that? Or Captain Jeff? I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said you were flying together." And he said, oh, "My name's Dana," you know, I said because. Dana had called himself Tony when we did the episode 90 thing. And I said, yeah, I remember your name. And uh, so he said, you know, we're flying next week. And I said, yeah, I saw that. And I said, what? You didn't remember who I was. Okay, well. I said, I, no chance you remembered your name. I think I do. But <laughs> no, you didn't remember, my, you like you remember who I like, was. Yeah. Well, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll just uh, agree to not agree. Uh, or disagree, but uh, anyway, he said, "Yeah, we're because I knew that because I'd seen that you were flying the sh the, the trip with me the following week." So um, I said, "You know, we're, he said, you know, we're flying together next week." And I said, "Yeah, I saw that. Uh, we have a long layover in Orlando." And I said, "In fact, I'm." Uh, oh, you no, know, you said, "Are you still doing that podcast thing?" And I said, "Yeah." And yeah. <laughs> um, that was three years before that uh, Dana had done the show with me. Um, I said, in fact, I'm planning on doing the show um, from our long layover in Orlando. And I said, are you interested in being on again? And we can do a, you know, a, a, a Captain uh, Tony uh, kind of a redo. And reduce. Reduce. Redo. Redo. R-D-U-X. And, yeah, um, yeah. and he said, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. So I made sure I had a couple of microphones with me on that. And then uh, we, we did the show from the uh, hotel studio and along with everybody else um, in October, uh, almost exactly three years after the time that we had first done the, the show together, Dana. And yeah. then uh, at, uh, just uh, not too long after that, probably uh, a month or two after that, you were doing, uh, you were off and on uh, doing some shows with us, um, mostly on and uh, on occasion not. And uh, then we invited Dana to, be part of the APG crew. I believe it was before the end of 2016. Well, actually, you, we had, uh, after the show in Orlando, we had uh, a few drinks. And then once you were a little bit uh, tipsy, and you said, well, you know, I think you might think about being on the show. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so so that, that sounds exactly like what I was sounded like, I'm sure. 
No, <laughs> no, but you, you, were, I mean, I, I'm terrible mimicking anybody, but you, you, you'd had a few beers at that point, and you. you okay, so what you're saying is my my judgment was definitely it's um, skewed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so, so I kind of let it go, and then you then you reach back out to me, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess he was serious, and then uh, yeah. So you want to check with the crew members. That's how we became uh, one big happy family, and and uh, then. And then uh, now, oh, look I, who's back. I, I, I should mention that it, that same year, 2016, around, I don't know, around May, June, I don't know, somewhere mid, mid-year uh, is when um, Rick had a change of uh, airline and ended up have, flying, being based in Anchorage and flying in, on the other side of the world, literally on the other side of the world. So it was getting more, more and more difficult for him to be able to join us on the show. So he kind of took a little sabbatical and, uh, and that was, um, in 2016. So about almost four years ago or just under four years ago is when, when he uh, stopped and then he's back. So that's the big news now. So now you're up to date. That's how we all met each other. It, it basically through, uh, the only, the only, um, uh, difference I guess would be that Dana and I, knew each other or met each other because of our job. We worked for the same airline and he was a first officer and I was a captain on the, uh, on the mad dog. And so there you go. So Tim, who, Tim, who wrote us this feedback is in the chat room and he says, so basically you get them drunk and then talk them into it. Apparently it sounds like that. It kind of seems to be the, the, the theme, uh, the, the, the thread that, uh, runs through all this is, uh, well, we don't get drunk. It's you. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm the one. Yeah. These people here, they don't drink momentary lapses of judgment. They're, they're, they're teetotal. Yeah. You know what? That's actually probably pretty true. (laughs) Uh, If I just stopped drinking then maybe I wouldn't make these mistakes anymore. Actually, if, if I recall, in, in Orlando, didn't I go to the uh, local uh, Publix liquor store and they had that super big bottle of Eagle Rare? Yeah. Which they don't have locally. They only have a 750 milliliter. They had the 1.75. I bought the whole darn thing and it was sitting on the counter. And I was sipping on that that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You're sipping on that. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there you go, Tim. Hopefully, uh, I know there are some blanks in there that we, uh, you know, because I blank out a lot, apparently. That's, that's why you have to go back and just relive yeah. that whole couple year time span. Yeah. A lot happened in, in that uh, 2015, 2016 time span. And then uh, we've been kind of basically on cruise control ever since then. So there we go. That's Coasting. it. So that's it. I think that uh, that's about the time in the show where we like to do uh, the installment of the old pilot's plane tales. And even though Nick is not with us live, we still have his wonderful recording here. So we're going to go ahead and play the pluck of the Irish. Here we go. The old pilot's plane tales, the pluck of the Irish. The Feast of St. Patrick is today more often known by revelers and party-goers as an opportunity to wear outrageous green costumes and consume copious quantities of Guinness. In reality, Patrick was a 5th century Romano-British Christian missionary and bishop in Ireland. 
At the age of 16, he was kidnapped by Irish raiders and taken as a slave to Gaelic Island, where he was forced to work as a shepherd, and there he found God. God told him to flee Ireland and that a ship would be waiting for him, which indeed took him home to become a priest. He returned to Scotia, as it was known then, to convert the pagan Irish to Christianity, and his efforts to get rid of the Druids became an allegory in which he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. On St. Patrick's Day, Lenten restrictions are lifted for the day to allow much eating and drinking, which comes from the custom of drowning the shamrock by pouring whiskey over a shamrock leaf, which is then drunk as a toast. In this tale of Irish celebration told on the 17th of March, I won't be donning a tacky Irish costume and promoting a leprechaun-riddled stereotype, but honouring Ireland's contribution to aviation. Perhaps best known is when Ireland, both metaphorically and geographically, became the centre of global aviation. Ireland is the closest part of Europe to North America, so it's not surprising that the first attempts to cross the Atlantic by air would end on the Emerald Isle. On the morning of the 15th of June 1919, out of the mist, a vicar's vimy emerged. The Englishman John Alcock and the Scotsman Arthur Brown had been airborne for sixteen hours in the most trying of conditions, and they were undoubtedly delighted to see what looked like flat pasture land beneath them. Unfortunately, they had chosen a roundstone bog near Clifton in County Galway as a landing strip, and when their undercarriage sank into the wet ground, the Vimy came to a grinding halt as it nosed over. Luckily, neither airmen were injured, but the Vimy needed some work before it was fit to take its place in the Science Museum of London. This event, though, wasn't the first significant aviation story to come out of Ireland. For that, we must look to Henry Ferguson, the famous tractor manufacturer. I wish I could tell you that he invented the first flying manure spreader, but whilst I can't, I can certainly tell you about his other accomplishments. Henry George Ferguson was born in 1884 in Adromore, County Down. He worked hard on the family farm but didn't get on with his strict father, so took off to work in his brother's garage in Belfast. It was here that he got his nickname as the Mad Mechanic. Fascinated by flight, he was determined to build and fly his own aircraft, the Ferguson monoplane. He knew of the aviator A.V. Rowe, who founded Avro, and his success as the first British aircraft builder who flew his machine, a triplane from Brooklands near Weybridge, and he set out to be the first to fly in Ireland. He convinced his brother that they should use their Belfast workshops to build the machine, and after visiting many air shows, they started piecing together a design, partly cribbed from information found in the Flight magazine. 
what they came up with looked a little like the Blerio monoplane, powered by a 35-horsepower JAP engine. After many changes and improvements, they towed the finished machine behind a car through the streets of Belfast and up to Hillsborough Park to make their first attempt. At first they were thwarted by propeller trouble and worked on the machine through the day, but then bad weather grounded them. And it wasn't until a week later, on the last day of 1909, that it all came together. Harry fired up the engine and rolled his machine down an incline and into the air to become the first Irishman to build and fly his own machine. A reporter from the Belfast Telegraph described the scene. The roar of the eight cylinders was like the sound of a Gatling gun in action. The machine was set against the wind and all force being developed the splendid pull of the new propeller swept the big airplane along as Mr. Ferguson advanced the lever. Presently, at the movement of the pedal, the airplane rose into the air at a height from 9 to 12 feet amidst the heavy cheers of the onlookers. The poise in the machine was perfect, and Mr. Ferguson made a splendid flight of 130 yards. Although fierce gusts of wind made the machine wobble a little, twice the navigator steadied her by bringing her head to wind. It was the most successful initial flight that has ever been attempted upon an airplane. During June 1910, Ferguson made a flight of two and a half miles, flying at only a few feet over McGilligan Strand at Loch Foyle, County Derry. And further successful flights were made at Newcastle, County Down. Sadly, a year after its first flight, it was damaged during a landing, but Ferguson took the opportunity to rebuild it in a modified form, with the wing span and the fuselage being shortened, and fabric was used to cover the entire fuselage. With this machine, Ferguson made several excellent flights in 1911, before coming to grief on a soft mud bank. Undeterred, once again the monoplane was restructured, this time with a nose wheel replacing the skid, giving it a tricycle undercarriage. This third version was also an excellent flyer, and was flown regularly at McGilligan's stand in 1912 by Ferguson, and also by the famed aviator O.G. Lyward. It was reported that he became very adept at controlling his machine, once or twice having encountered very gusty weather. He took others up with him, including a lady passenger with him prior to the Leopardstown Air Show, which entitled him to the record of having achieved the very first passenger flight in Ireland. But that was all. After three years of intense effort in making and flying aircraft, the inventor fell out with his brother, and he changed direction into automotive and agricultural machinery which would actually make him more famous, so famous that some of his inventions are now in the London Science Museum. His skill as an inventor and mechanic led to the development of what is now the modern tractor, the first hydraulic adjustable plough, the three-point hitch, and a four-wheel drive system utilising an open-centre differential gear which has been used in Formula One racing cars, Land Rovers and the Range Rover. Highlands aviation heroes weren't all men, though. 
Lillian Bland was brought up in England to a well-to-do Anglo-Irish family. By the turn of the century, she was working as a sports journalist and press photographer for various London newspapers. She was well known for her unconventional lifestyle, disregarding the social norms of the period by smoking, wearing trousers, hunting, shooting and fishing. After being widowed from a childless marriage, she took to photographing seabirds on the remote islands of Scotland which nurtured her interest in flying. She lived with her father in Tobacoran House on Glebe Road West, just north of Belfast in Ireland. Like Ferguson, she had studied Blériot's monoplane, which inspired her to take up flying by building her own machine, which she named Mayfly. Adding her own modifications to the design, the Mayfly had similar wings to Blériot's monoplane, but it was to be a biplane controlled by a canard and looked similar to the Wright Flyer. Borrowing her uncle's workshop, she first built a model with a six-foot wingspan to prove her ideas would work, and then set to create a full-sized machine built from spruce, bamboo and canvas. It was finished in early 1910, only a few months after Ferguson's aircraft first flew, and had a 20-foot wingspan and weighed 200 pounds. After months of test glides and the fitting of an AV-Row 20-horsepower two-stroke engine, she was eager to fly her machine. There were many doubts expressed about her ability to control her creation, which is why she chose the name Mayfly with deliberate irony. The first attempts were halted by excessive vibration from the engine, but by August 1910 she was ready to try her first flight. Lillian skillfully worked the bicycle handlebar, which was connected to the flying controls, and stayed aloft for a quarter of a mile. In doing so, she became the first woman to fly an aircraft in Ireland and the first woman in the United Kingdom, possibly in the world, to design, build and then pilot her own heavier-than-air flying machine. After her first successful flight in Randallstown, she continued experimenting with further flights, mostly of short duration, and then offered the biplane up for sale to fund further development. Her next machine flew regularly up to 30 feet into the air, but her activities were of increasing concern to her father. Lillian herself realised that the Mayfly was underpowered, but the lightweight aircraft couldn't handle a more powerful and heavier engine, and her father had offered to buy her a car if she would give up aviation. Having made her point that aeronautics were not purely a male preserve, she accepted the bribe. The aircraft engine was sold and the airframe given to a boys' club for use as a glider. Lillian wasn't the only lady to fly an island, though, and one of the most famous aviators in the world during the mid-twenties was Sophie Catherine Theresa May Pierce Evans, from Knockaderry in County Limerick. The young Sophie endured a troubled upbringing when her father murdered her mother and was then declared insane. 
She was brought up by two maiden aunts, but received an excellent education, enjoying playing sport, hockey and tennis, and displaying a flair for the sciences. She graduated from the Royal College of Science for Ireland with a top-class degree, and then during the First World War became a dispatch rider based in England and then an ambulance driver in France. Her interest in sport continued when she set a women's British javelin record and a world high jump record, albeit a disputed one. She was a delegate on the International Olympics Committee and represented the United Kingdom in various events. In May 1925, Sophie flew to Prague to address a conference of the Olympic Congress. It was her first time ever in an aircraft, and she became intoxicated with the whole concept of flight. By August, she had become one of the first members of the London Light Aeroplane Club, taking her first solo flight in October and obtaining a private pilot's licence the following month. I'm reminded of another high achiever that I know when I mention that she was also a parachutist, being the first woman to parachute from an aircraft landing in the middle of a football match. Although she could compete in air races at the frequently held air shows across the country, often beating the men, as a woman she was not allowed to take up passengers or otherwise earn a living from her skill. At the time, women pilots were deemed to be inferior to their male counterparts purely on the basis of their gender, although some objected simply as a matter of course, as they remained entrenched in outdated misogynistic values. The predominantly official viewpoint was that women were naturally weaker than men, and that this position would be compounded during a menstrual cycle, thus putting their passengers' lives at risk. Sophie, never one to be put off easily, enlisted the help of many powerful people in her quest for a full licence, such as the Member of Parliament, Lady Astor, and agreed to be physically tested at any time to assess her flying abilities, thus effectively dismantling the main argument against women pilots. Indeed, many men could see the injustice of this two-tier licensing system and actively supported her claim. Her lobbying paid off, and in 1926 she became the first woman in Britain and Ireland to hold a commercial pilot's licence. She had married twice, the second and more successful union being that to Sir James Heath, but it only lasted a year. Now Lady Heath, and with the funds to afford more advanced aircraft, she set about becoming the Lady Icarus that she was now being called. In 1928 she flew her Avro Avian biplane from Cape Town in South Africa to Croydon near London. As she taxied across the grass airfield to the arrival area, the Avro became engulfed by the vast waiting crowd of many thousands. Mary had flown her aircraft nearly 10,000 miles from Cape Town, maintaining the aircraft herself and becoming the first person to make such a flight. Her whirlwind tour of parties and lectures across the United Kingdom and the USA 
made her a top box office draw, and the American public loved her as she competed in air races, until, in Cleveland, Ohio, she clipped a chimney as she dodged between racing pylons and crashed. In a coma for weeks, she had a metal plate inserted into her skull and eventually left hospital, to discover that her estranged husband was divorcing her, leaving her with many unpaid bills. She struggled back to flying, but was in and out of hospital, and eventually returned to Ireland to run the aviation services at Kildonan Aerodrome, just north of Dublin. Sadly, she turned to the demon drink to assuage her troubled life, and although her achievements rivaled those of Amelia Earhart and Amy Johnson, she perished in obscurity when she died falling from a trolley car in London. Besides a small plaque on the house where she lived as a child, there's no public recognition of Lady Heath in Britain or Ireland, and her book, Women and Flying, is often found hidden away on the lower shelves of aviation libraries. I love that Irish music. Um, sad ending to the story. I know, and it started off so positive. There <laughs> were like great stories, and then he's like, let me just end this on a major downer. <laughs> but that's Captain Nick for you. It is. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. Um, I'd never heard of this uh, this pilot. I haven't no. either. No, yeah. I didn't stuff. know. Which, yeah. which I guess proves uh, Nick's point. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does make yeah. the bottom point. shelf. Yeah, that's sad. Collecting dust. Well, thank you, Nick, for sharing all of that and educating us. Yes. Well, I, I, I have the name of the book now, and I'm looking at it, and um, I'm going to go out and get it and read it because I'm I'm really I've never heard of this lady before. I'm really. What was really the name of the book again? I'd forgotten it that fast. Right here, something about lady pilots or <laughs> women and flying. <laughs> women and flying. Yeah. yeah. To my notes here. Okay. That sounds very obvious, and uh, sure. And you laughed. Hey, you know what? I forgot. I I failed miserably. Uh, and as a leader of this group, I'll take full responsibility. But we were discussing, you know, how we met each other and knew each other and how this whole thing came about to the present form. And I forgot one very, very important member of our APG crew. And mainly because you don't see her because she's always behind the scenes. And but we see her right now, this current uh, stream yard um, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> she's giving us some verbal communication. <laughs> so if you, if you really knew Liz, you'd, uh, <laughs> you'd be astonished. <laughs> so no, she's, she's a very lovely person, a very nice person, regardless of the, of the verbal gesture or nonverbal gesture. Um, anyway, a uh, couple of years, she says she's been with us for two years now. That's, I, I can't believe it's already been two years, but, um, a lot of things happen between shows, um, both before the show, a lot of, uh, research and prep work. I know you're probably laughing. What? Come on research. Um, a lot of prep work goes into, uh, doing the show, uh, before we actually get to this point where we're recording the show. And then after the show, there are a lot of things going on as well, post editing and, and such. And, um, I, uh, I think 
Liz, I'm not sure you'll, you'll have to remind me, but I think she started, she's been at least a part of our community for at least four or five years or more. Four? At least that long. I can remember um, when I was doing the t-shirts for that first farm bar trip we took, mm -hmm. I remember putting together a t-shirt for. Okay. So. And that was 2016. That was 2016. Yeah. So she's been around for quite some time, sending us uh, a lot of feedback and um, links to news articles and stuff like that. So she, she had a very, very good feel for the show. And um, I was looking for, for, into the possibility of having somebody help me as a, an assistant to uh, uh, help with the prep work and organization. I'm a terrible I organizer. I should say he, he did try to enlist Rick and I at one point to help do that. And yeah, I that think didn't we go both very kind far. Of I think Rick did a better job than I did in terms of trying to organize things and put things together. And I just failed miserably. Yeah, I figure I better try to get somebody that's reliable instead. So, yeah, exactly. Players uh, <laughs> are dealing with patients. Yeah, we're we're not reliable for that stuff. Yeah. Sorry. So um, I'm thinking to myself, well, I I know Liz is a as a big part of our community, and she I, I knew that she was retired um, from her career in the financial um, industry, right, the banking industry. And uh, she um, was an aviation enthusiast. And so I, I went ahead and sent her an email. I believe it was via email. Uh, asked her if uh, she'd be interested in, you know, helping me uh, with production of the show. And uh, she, it, 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 was, uh, it was tough. I, I took her out and got her drunk. And then she finally agreed uh, <laughs> to do it. No, I'm just kidding. She, <laughs> she, she really doesn't drink that much. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so she's been uh, helping us out quite uh, quite a, um, an amazing amount the last couple of years. So, uh, Liz, thank you. Sorry, I, I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about all the uh, on-camera personalities of the APG crew, I didn't think about uh, you, and that was my mistake. So uh, I, I feel terribly. Uh, so anyway, big round of applause as we do every show or at least every show when I remember to. Uh, Liz Piper in Toronto, and uh, she's just a, a wonderful woman, and uh, very smart, and very organized. And that's the that's the key to this. I am not an organized person. I am a procrastinator. I will wait until the very last minute to do things, and then all of a sudden, Liz starts helping us out, and like we're we've barely finished recording a show, and she's already talking about you know, like what she wants us to talk about on the next show. And I'm going, well, hang on. <laughs> There's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. And I usually don't even think about it until like the morning of the, sh of the day that we're going to do the show. But she's made things run much more smoothly in the background. So thank you very much. And then, of course, I just recently promoted her to, uh, with a big pay raise, uh, to director. <laughs> and so she's helping out uh, while we're doing these live streams on StreamYard. Um, so thank you, Liz. You're you're uh, an amazing person, and we really appreciate the fact that you're part of our crew. Okay. Cheers. Cheers, yes. Cheers to my empty bottle or can of um, St. Arnold's. I couldn't find St. Patrick's beer, but I found St. Arnold. which I, I found St. Water. St. Water? Oh, good. Holy water. I got water with vitamin C here, so. Ah, nice. The aforementioned delicious local Charlotte beers. My favorite yes. session IPA, so Ooh. very low alcohol content. It's good. Yeah, I should go. I should go find see if I have any beer in the fridge. Well, while you do that, we're going to go over here to the current show folder and let's see where did I leave off. Oh, Liz I think, had suggestions for what to do with the remaining time. Oh, okay, what is her? What are her, twelve? Okay, 
Let's skip over to 12. This is from Adam. Oh, do we really want to do Adam? I don't know. Well, he's not my type. <laughs> Adam is a, a big part of our community as well. And uh, he is a, um, a, a can I, am I allowed to say a supervisor in the uh, well, I think Heathrow? you could probably speak uh, generally about it. Generally. He is in the air traffic control system in uh, the United Kingdom. And he uh, had some thoughts regarding uh, some items we've discussed on previous shows. And uh, here is his audio feedback. Hi, everybody. Adam here. I just got some feedback based on the discussion between Captain Jeff, Captain Nick about Gorans in Sydney. Uh, back in APG 413, I apologise for the uh, tardy feedback. Uh, it was a few weeks ago now, wasn't it? But I've been self-isolating um, away from APG. But then I read in the in the media that it's not actually APG I should be isolating myself from. So I've been listening to some uh, episodes over the last few days. Yeah, so obviously I, I'm only going to speak generics, but um, Mr. Proach is certainly off, off a set of two parallels or... or three or four parallels always an interesting scenario uh there are some basic principles that we that we would train all new controllers in and uh, and hope they would comply with uh definitely earlier the better you know if you, if you don't think as a controller it's going to work then earlier is always better the last thing any pilot wants really is to be as i'm sure you you would agree hanging over the uh perimeter fence or even in in a bit closer over the approach lights waiting for the uh, landing clearance and i'm sure nick could probably relay some that have probably happened at heathrow where the controller comes in on the rt really quickly to say to take control of it to stop somebody else coming on at 10 miles and giving you the life story and it'll be something like um you know, fast jet one, two, three, the surface wind is two, six, zero degrees at five knots on runway two, seven, right, clear to land. Uh, that is not an ideal situation to be in. So you need to practice, you know, defensive controlling, as we call it. You need to make the decision early. And if it turns out that a landing clearance could have been given really, really late, then, you know, so be it. But ideally, earlier the better. Um, there are some hard and fast rules based on distances of aircraft away from the centre line or, or, or edge of the runway. Uh, but there is still, you know, a relatively um, large amount of judgment there. So basically, the rules that we work to in the UK are that an aircraft has to be uh, over 77.5 metres, and um, somebody will have to translate that into American, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm afraid, 77.5 metres away from the centre line of the runway. Uh, when the follower aircraft, so I'm talking about a lander following a lander uh, scenario, so just a landing aircraft, uh, landing runway, uh, 77.5 metres away from the centre line of the runway, when the follower crosses the start of the the landing runway uh, now ideally the landing clearance would be given in advance at that point so the rules that we work to is that if if the lead aircraft has has vacated the edge of the runway so over the white line at the edge of the runway and in the controller's experience and judgment they expect the lead aircraft to be further away than 77.5 meters at the point at which the follower crosses the beginning of the runway so there is some judgment there and obviously it, it could all go a bit wrong if 
if you give the landing clearance based on that judgment and the aircraft is is taxiing smartly down the high speed exit and then comes to a stop and then you need to get in quickly uh, and, and analyze the situation you notice i didn't exactly say get in quickly and issue a missed approach instruction or a go around because that might not always be the safest option it usually is but there's that experience and judgment that that we all still use and uh an exercise where a landing getting the aircraft on the ground might be the best option uh for example if if the weather's not great uh departure runway might be weather avoiding so they might be turning even tighter um so if if you're landing on a on a northern of two runways and the the departure on the southern runway is turning to the north that sort of thing um then then there's that confliction that that you know you need to decide what's the best course of action here but in general a missed approach and if you are going to issue a missed approach it is better to to give it earlier rather than late um and in terms of what might happen then is is certainly at the the airport where i work the we tend to assume that the workload in the flight deck of the aircraft doing the missed approach is going to be higher than the workload in the cockpit of the aircraft that's just taken off. So the worst case scenario on a two runway parallel runway airport would be a, a, a very late go around at the same time as when a departure has just got airborne and is going to turn across the climb out of the runway on which the missed approach is occurring, if that makes sense verbally. Uh, so you would, if you had to issue some sort of uh, a heading to one of the aircraft to to get that divergence and establish that separation, we would tend to, again, it's very situation specific, but we would tend to give that heading to the departure on the assumption that they would be more able to assimilate that and, uh, and turn the aircraft uh, to the desired heading rather than issuing that heading to the aircraft going on a missed approach for various reasons. Um, obviously, if it's an ATC-initiated missed approach, you might potentially have a bit of chance to warn the aircraft that this might happen. Um, uh, but if not, then um, especially if the aircraft has sent itself around, so effectively the flight crew have elected to go around because maybe a windshield warning or or unstable approach or or any any reason, basically, at that point, ATC might not know the reason for the missed approach. And especially given the, the recent weather over the past few months in Europe, if it is a missed approach, then you know all bets are off from our point of view. ATC will assume you're going to go straight ahead or you might potentially turn in an unexpected direction. We will assume um, you'll do the worst thing in, in a certain circumstance. So we will try and turn the aircraft that, w- that we are more confident of being able to take a turn. Um, and that sort of leads on some of the discussion about the the occurrence at Sydney, which I'm not too familiar with, so I won't go on to specifics. But um, that point of when the ATC instructor takes the RT away from the trainee is probably, from my point of view, uh, the a very difficult, if not the most difficult, skill to learn as a as an ATC instructor. Um, bearing in mind as a as an in, um, an ATCO instructor, you are sat or stood beside the trainee. You don't have dual controls, as it were, in in the flight deck or or in a, a military or or even a civilian light training aircraft. You you don't you have a 
an RT push to talk button on your on your headset which can override the trainee but you don't have a duplicate set of flight data you don't have a duplicate set of strips be they paper or electronic um, that represent each aircraft so so that RT uh, override is is virtually your only immediate method of taking control uh, and you need to bear in mind as a as an instructor I'm sure some of what I'm talking about will will chime with the 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 pilots who have done instructing listening to this and you know Jeff and Nick and, and Dana and Steph that that as an observer and or instructor if you're if you're watching something perform a task then you generally have more capacity than them because you're monitoring and that goes back into you know CRM and and team resource management etc during um, emergencies and non-standard situations but you need to remember that you have that monitoring ability that the the trainee in this case doesn't so you need to make sure you're not going in all the time and getting a bit annoyed that your trainee isn't seeing all the things that you're seeing well a one is is you're far more experienced than they are in general and two even if they were as experienced as you and as skilled as you um they still wouldn't have the same mental capacity to plan ahead as much as you do because they're the ones literally talking on the radio and actively listening as much as you're listening, you're not talking, you're not making a decision, I'm going to hit the PTT switch now or in two seconds or in five seconds. So you've got that capacity. What we often do with our trainees in the early days is um, we'll get them to control the traffic but not talk on the on the RT. So I'll be plugged in with the active microphone and and my trainee will be will be next to me and they will be telling me what to say literally the words, you know, the, the correct RT phraseology, um, when and to whom to say it. So then I can act as a filter. If I think one of the instructions that I'm being told to say is, isn't appropriate, then I will either not say it or I'll modify it and then potentially have, have a chance to talk it through in a, in a quite a period or in the debrief session after, after our um, controlling session. But that's quite good to to sort of introduce the trainees to the controlling because it gets them thinking gets them thinking about what to say and how to say it and when to say it but without that sort of um rabbit in the headlights type um scariness that sometimes and i I remember when i first talked on the radio you know 20 odd years ago um it can be quite a big thing saying your first words on the radio to all these pilots who are using certainly at heathrow you know God knows how many different accents and um, inflections and radi- um, some of them have poor radio quality on the aircraft. Uh, so it's a lot dimmer. Uh, it's a lot different than a um, ATC simulator. So um, anyway, I've, I've rambled on enough. Um, hope that's given a bit of background as to, to what the controller might be thinking about. And um, hope you all uh, stay safe. And um, hopefully I'll see somebody soon. Bye. Well, thanks, Adam. Um, always nice to hear your perspective as a professional air traffic controller um, regarding that. And yeah, you're talking about um, RT, radio transmissions, talking on the radio, that is one of the toughest things, I'm sure, for you all in that side of the, on that side of the radio receiver transmitter, as it is for us in the airplane. Uh, and we've talked about this before. It's like, it's the brain disconnect switch, or sometimes uh, referred to as the switch that when you push it to talk, then the airplane just starts going 
Like, I remember when I was just learning how to fly, and when I ever started talking on the radio, the airplane just you're went pushing for... that button down, but you're also pulling down. <laughs> yeah, on that it goes out of control. <laughs> That's weird how that happens. Um, yeah, good, um, good, good perspective. Thank you. Yeah, I always, I always wondered about that. I was wondering how how they do, you know, on the job training, and it's and it's one of those things where you. Just like I guess, just 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 the way it works for us, you know, you, you can you can simulate just about anything, but until you're actually doing it mm-hmm. in that dynamic environment and with all the variables, you know that you can't really you know think up think up in a training environment in, in, in a simulator. You know, once you have everything kind of going the way it would be, once you're out in I guess the line, you know, actually doing it in, in the tower, um, it's just just you know absolutely priceless training. And I had no idea that that's how they did it. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Wow. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I love that they can sit there right next to, um, you know, whoever's training them and basically be doing the job, but not be the one on the radio. So you have that, that's such a great filter and such a great way to see, okay, I said this, but then they said something different and then you can think about it then and, and, and know why. And then also to, you know, that, that backup of having a second set of eyes over you to see all of the situation unfolding around you when you're the one who's like, you're using all that mental processing in that moment. So great, great yeah, and, from Adam. and and as far as getting your your landing clearance late, I mean, I some airlines have uh, like for example, we do um, in our in our um, talking about um, standard operating procedures as part of our uh, descent flow. Once you go through eighteen thousand feet um, above uh, airport elevation, you'll turn your lights on, right, and you leave all the lights. You'll turn all the lights on except for your nose landing light. Uh, and you'll only turn that light on after you're clear to land. And then I, I do something else uh, on top of that. And I've always done this starting from the, you know, because I started on the 767 where um, once you begin the top of descent, you I would hit my uh, my, uh, my chronograph, my, my stopwatch for two reasons. The first one was because the 76, when you go through transition level, which is the point from which you go uh, uh, flying on, on 2992 uh, barometric reference, to your to local barometric reference, so Q and H. Um, once you go through that on a seven six, just like I'm sure the, the 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 Mad Dog and the and the older generation airplanes, once you go through that, there really isn't any kind of 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 uh, and nothing really catches your eye to let you know that you've gone through transition level and you haven't reset your altimeter to what it should be. Uh, it's different on the on the triple seven the seven forty seven where you go through it and your altimeter the the the, the box. Around the altimeter will actually turn uh, uh, amber, right? Oh. So by by turning that uh, that that uh, stopwatch, that chronograph off, it reminded me to make sure that I turn my that I switch my altimeter from Q and E to Q and H. And the other the other reason why I keep that that chronograph going was to make sure that I I landed with a clearance, because as long as I saw the chronograph going, I knew that I wasn't clear to land. Um, so, uh, I tell you, once you start getting really close to the ground and you are, you know, three miles out, two miles out, a mile out, and you're not clear to land yet, you start getting, you know, you start getting really, uh, well, we, we going to get clear to land here. And it gets <laughs> to the point where you're not clear to land. Um, do you land? Can you land? Should you land? No, no. Those so, are, yeah. Those are three there good are questions. Textbooks. Textbook answers to that question, and then probably other other I, answers. To that I did the uh, Atlanta Tower tour a couple of years ago, um, and uh, the guy, the tower supervisor there, he says, 
you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit that I said this, but if I'm working you and you, for, you forget to switch over to tower or whatever, and you didn't hear me tell you to, you're cleared to land. And then you realize it on your, on your landing roll or whatever. He says, don't say anything. Just keep on going. <laughs> just keep Because <laughs> 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 he said, it's so much more work for me. If you realize it and then you go around, now you're a problem. <laughs> if you just oh, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Imagine having to shuffle all that traffic around you and then you have yeah. – he's trying to get, get you out of the way and then you have to depart in traffic and it's just a oh, – Much goodness. easier for him, a much better situation just to land without the landing clearance and, and just go on your way. Don't say anything. <laughs> we'll, we'll contact <laughs> you if you – yeah. <laughs> Don't anyway. call me. I'll call you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, Adam's perspective when it comes to the thought process – you know, like you have a situation where uh, somebody has just t- is starting their departure and somebody is on a miss and how the uh, the uh, the brain load uh, on the people that are doing the missed approach procedure is so much more, much higher than the people are just doing their standard takeoff and departure. And you can give that crew a, a heading or do something different. And it's not like going to like shake them as it would for somebody that's in the middle of a missed approach procedure. So I like that thinking. It's it's good. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, uh, uh, actually flying the missed approach, oftentimes you are at that point, you've been flying manually for, you know, for a couple of thousand feet or at least the last, you well, know, not the a- Airbus thousand people, feet or two. Well, no, the Airbus, the Airbus, you know, it's just, you just, you just, you just land. And after you land, you insert another the quarter so you can tax to the run to the, into the gate. Otherwise the thing just quits, but I'm talking real airplanes. You know, you get to about 2000 feet, you click the autopilot off. And you've been hand flying this whole time, right? Yeah. And flying a manual go around, especially in IMC, it's not with, easy. It's it's not easy because you have it's to tough. configure for the go around. While you go from landing flaps to go around flaps as the landing gear is coming up, you may very well get the landing alarm. You know the the configuration alarm. You're trying <laughs> to do what ATC is telling you to do. You got your FO, your captain, you know, trying to fumble with it with the, with the with the flap and the and the and the gear lever. Then you have to select a lateral mode, a vertical mode, get the autopilot back on. All kind of doing it at the same time, so it's not easy. It's not easy. No. It's the it's the hardest. I mean, for me, it's like one of the hardest maneuvers to do. Oh, it is absolutely. And I'm just kidding, Airbus drivers. I'm uh, just we're kidding. just we're just playing. No, John, yeah. Jonathan says, <laughs> Jonathan Hardwick, what's this manual flying you speak of? <laughs> oh, Jonathan, <laughs> breaking our hearts over here. <laughs> anyway, oh, you know what I need to do before we move on, and we're not going to be able to do a lot more because we're getting close to the uh, end of the uh, show. But uh, after the plane tale, I. W- it was necessary for me to mention a few people and to thank some people. Um, let's see, where did it go? Um, okay, here we go. Um, first of all, um, thanks to the anonymous Irish guy <laughs> that helped with that recording. We've never heard that voice before. We don't know who that is, but a lovely Irish voice. Thank you very much. You anonymous person, you, and uh, also uh, Dermud uh, O'Connor, um, who I guess also suggested this story. Or no, he also sent in some um, some uh, recordings with the uh, the Irish part. And uh, Nick wanted us to thank you for doing that. And but he went with um, the anonymous guy instead. Right? Is that right, guys? Hello, Are you guys there. I don't know. No, I missed here. that uh, conversation. Sorry. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, Liz believe- is shaking her head. Yes. Okay. Nodding her Thank head. You. Yes. So. Thank you, Liz. And then also, um, 
Nick, um, I, I don't believe it has anything to do with this particular plane tale, but uh, Dave Gooch, who visited the UK not that long ago and, and met up with uh, Nick and Jilly, um, and uh, he uh, sent uh, Nick via the postal service um, some gifts and goodies, and uh, uh, Nick wanted to say thank you to you, Dave, if you're listening to the show. He really appreciates uh, the uh, the nice gifts that you that you sent. I believe that was it. Thumbs up from our producer director. Thank you. Okay. I'm sorry I didn't uh, do that right after we did the plain tale, but I, you know me. I'm just not very organized. Um, which one uh, next? I think seven. Uh, seven. Okay. Um, yeah, we put this out a, a, a couple of times. It just always is toward the end of the lineup. And this time we're going to get it. And this is, uh, well, he'll tell you, audio feedback from a person. Hey there, APG crew. It's First Officer Chris, known on the social media as Crispo Piloto. That's born from a nickname from one of my first jobs and my love of the Spanish language. Anyway, I came across your podcast a couple months ago, and I've been listening to it ever since and really enjoy it. And I've been wanting to send you guys some feedback for a while, but I keep forgetting what I wanted to send feedback to by the time I got back to my computer. But now I finally got it done, so... Hopefully, you'll appreciate it. First off, I wanted to talk to you about your 50% um, rating there as far as um, your accuracy rating. And we always kind of, I always chuckled when you said it, and I think you guys always laugh, you know, only 50%. But really, 50% is a good bit better than most of the media out there. So I think you guys ought to give yourselves a pat on the bat if you can hold that uh, 50% rating. Also, uh, the last episode, uh, somebody wrote in and asked you about training costs and uh, what the reasons were for that being so high. And I forget what their suggestion was um, about it being to weed out uh, people that are not devoted, but I can tell you I'm pretty sure that's not what it is. Um, I've looked into it a good bit to try to figure out uh, why it's so expensive and some ways we could make it cheaper. And yeah, that's not what it is. But there are definitely cheaper ways of doing it than what most people pay. I have friends who have done it for as little as like $40,000, I believe, and then others who spent more than 300000 So there's you know, definitely a very uh, wide range of costs associated with it, depending on how you do it. Uh, my two favorite ways of making it cheaper for those of your listeners who are trying to do this are flight clubs and partial ownership programs um, where you have several people that own part of a plane that makes it a lot cheaper for numerous reasons. And yeah, so you can look into some of those, search your area, see what's around and check different flight schools because in my area anyway, flight schools vary a lot in cost. So just checking the different schools in the area can really help you save a lot of money on your, uh, on your flight training costs. So, yeah, hopefully that helps some of your listeners, and hopefully we can get some more pilots in the air. Thanks for all that you guys do. Well, thank you, Chris Bo Pilato. 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 Chris Bo Pilato. That was very Italian all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not good with accents. You know that. <laughs> um, yeah, good. some good points there, and uh, thank you for mentioning our 50%. Yep. I Turn that down, didn't I? Okay, here we go. <laughs> See, that was the first attempt. That's the second attempt. I achieved fifty percent. Excellent. Yes. Mm. Um, good. Good points regarding um, 
funding and uh, different ways to uh, pay for your training. Forty to three three hundred thousand. Who pays three hundred thousand dollars to get the required training? To uh, wow, that's that's a I'm figure. Sure I'm sure it happens. A lot. No, I, I sure bet you're right. Man, yeah. it, I mean, it just comes down to how. Uh, so you can be a little creative sometimes with how you use your resources and use them wisely. Yeah. That is so true. All right. Very good. Thanks, Crispo. Um, Joe uh, says, hello, APG team. I'm sure you're aware of this story from 2019 of the Delta 757, which sustained, sustained creases in the fuselage following a hard landing in the Azores. Yep. Actually, we covered it on the show. This doesn't seem like it's a common occurrence. No. At least this uh, is the first I've ever heard of structural damage of such. Oh, well, yeah, it's not uncommon, but it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, what's uncommon is the fact that uh, this airline ended up basically, and we all thought here on the show, yeah, that that's it. That, that airplane's never going to fly again, or, or it's just going to fly to wherever its final resting place is. And uh, nope, um, the uh, Delta Airlines um, actually flew it back, did the necessary repairs to get it flown back to the United States. And then they did major extensive repair on it. And uh, it is now back in service. And he, his question is, um, if we had any, well, let's see, let me read what he said. I know the aircraft's back in service and was curious if you've heard of other incidents such as this, and if you would feel comfortable flying an aircraft with previous structural damage. I don't know how much internal flex there was during the 7-5 incident, but it's amazing that this beautiful bird, my favorite aircraft of all time, is back in the sky. Thanks for any feedback you have on the topic. And I've attached the article, an article from Simple Flying, to this email, which we'll have in the uh, show notes if you're interested in reading it. And, uh, you know, the only thing I will say is that, um, number one, there are probably airplanes, I'm sure of it, that Dana and I fly who have had structural damage and have been repaired, and I just don't know anything about it. Maybe you do, Dana. Maybe there are ones out there that have had the damage and you know about it and it doesn't bother you or whatever. But I can tell you, even if I did know that an airplane was involved in some kind of an uh, incident or whatever, um, knowing that uh, it has been recertified by the FAA and my company, Acme, which they're very, very... Uh, particular about what they, um, you know, let back in the air and what they consider airworthy. Uh, and I have no hesitation whatsoever to fly an airplane that they have deemed as safe to fly. What do you think, Dana? Yeah, I absolutely have no problem whatsoever flying an airplane that is deemed safe to fly because it's gone through, uh, you know, not only maintenance, but uh, inspectors and, and sign-offs and, um you know, they certainly wouldn't uh, put an aircraft back in the sky if it wasn't safe uh, mm-hmm. and certifiable. Uh, y- yes, there's several aircraft that I know that have some damage, and there's, you know, one in particular. I don't think it's in the fleet anymore, but there's a huge patch on the side of it um, that I don't remember the ship number or, you know, when or where it was. Um, but I do know that I'd noticed a huge patch on the side of it where, you know, they just basically reinforced the skin. It was in and around. Um, uh, between the wing and, and the nose, uh, that I remember specifically mm-hmm. exactly where it was. I don't know, but yeah, you know, it's it's not uncommon. It's a very common occurrence. Uh, um, you know, uh, what's it? The uh, uh, was was it um, the three forty that just got damaged? 
uh, 380, excuse me. I mean, there with the, the, the door, right? The landing went down on the nose. The oh, nose yeah, yeah. we we'll talked about that. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, they're doing major extensive work to that mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, to, for it to fly again. So I think even, it's not. An, go ahead. Okay. Dave. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say, it's, it, it really is not an uncommon occurrence. Uh, I believe that the airplane, the Mad Dog that landed at LaGuardia and hit the pier with the main landing gear uh, back, I don't know, several years ago. Yeah, that's, was uh, that in the winter in a snow? No, 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 not that no, long. Oh, that was this one, this oh. happened uh, visibility. A, a few uh, years okay. before that. The guy was wearing... Um, uh, the contact lenses where one is far Mono vision. vision. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was low visibility and rain and, and came in too low, ducked under a little bit too low and actually pranged it on the, uh, end of the pier. I believe that airplane was fixed and what, you know, flew a bunch before it was, it was retired. Yeah. I may still actually be flying. I don't know. I don't remember that. I, I guess for me, it's better that I just don't know. <laughs> From the GA side of things, I can yeah. think of more than one aircraft that has uh, sustained structural damage, been repaired, been returned to flying, been certified that I have either personally flown or flown in. So, yeah. and and I tell you, from from having flown um, seven sixty sevens and this 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 whole uh, fuselage creasing type of thing, it is. I wouldn't say a common occurrence, but it happens more. It, it happens more so than it does in other types of airplanes, you know, seven fives and seven six, and it's because of the way. Well, first the the, the location of the spoiler panels along the quarter of the wind, the uh, quarter of the wing, and I I I put up a, a thread on Twitter not too long ago about this very thing, uh, where the the where the spoiler panels are located along the quarter of the wing, uh, the rate at which they deploy, and the fact that that gives you a bit of a nose up moment, um, uh, which you have to kind of check so that you don't strike the tail, especially in the seven uh, seven sixty seven, uh, the three hundred, because the three hundred has the same wing as the two hundred, but it's twenty one feet longer, and so you are, uh, I mean, the 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 angle re- the deck angle required to 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 hit the tail is a lot lower than it would be on the seven sixty seven two hundred, and also during the training, you know, they drill that in in your head the fact that you have to be careful with the tail, careful with the tail, so. If you're not expecting it and conditions are are gusty and you land and the spoilers pop up and then you feel the tail coming back, you know, you, you and you and you overcorrect, that slap down may be enough to to cause that fuselage um, uh, wrinkling there. But uh, it, it it's happened. It happened not too long ago with with uh, with an operator uh, going into uh, into uh, Shannon, I believe it was in Ireland. It uh, happened uh, to, to, to 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 many people. It's even happened to. Uh, um, well, it happens a lot. It happens quite yeah. a bit. But I read, uh, your, I read your thread you, you put on Twitter. That was excellent. So definitely if you folks listening haven't checked that out, check out um, at Miami Rick, Miami underscore Rick on Twitter. Because there's some good pictures there too. I was so surprised. It's, it's all on there. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, um, Joe, for sending that in. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have so many windows open on my machine. I couldn't find it. <laughs> Thanks for uh, sending that in, Joe. And again, as I mentioned before, it's uh, ITSN in the show notes if you want to read the article that he referenced. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. I know we didn't quite get to everyone's. And there was one in particular that I re- really hoped that we were going to be able to get to today. It involves uh, a vast aviation um, 
a video and live ATC audio recording of uh, an incident that occurred um, off of um, Maui and uh, a, a controller pilot interaction. And uh, but we're gonna we're gonna save that for our next show. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about it. And we have uh, Mark sent in some feedback about an old pilot tanker episode. Uh, Private pilot Rolo uh, is uh, caval- What's the uh, word? Um, yeah, I can't think of it. He's out there just uh, exploring the world, and he sent us some feedback from uh, a part of the world that not a lot of us get to, and uh, a lot more. So. Please tune in to our next episode, which will be sometime next week. And uh, while you're waiting for us to put out a new show and you want to learn more about the uh, APG crew and the APG community and a lot more, please head over to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. And we're on social media as well. I like to call it the social meds. Indeed, we are on Twitter at APG Crew. You can find all of our individual Twitter information if you need that pinned to the top of that page. Uh, you can follow us there for information about when the shows will be recorded, other meetups and, and similar topics. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash airline pilot guy for all the same information there, plus people sharing all kinds of up-to-date aviation information, current events, news stories, etc. Um, Instagram, um, like I said, every once in a while I update that. That's also at APG Crew. And if you want to take a deep dive into things, you can check out the Slack page. I'll hand that over to Hillel. Okay, Hillel. Um, let's see. I think he's in the bathroom. Let me turn on the um, microphone. Oh, yep. He's in there washing hands. There you go. Did somebody start the timer? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, 20 um, seconds, Hillel. You got 20 seconds. Go. Oh, wait. Okay. Hang on. Okay. Start. Start now. He's already been doing it for like... Like three minutes at least. Yeah. I think he's good. I think you're good. Hello. Okay. Uh, so he's going to tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. And you know, if you wash your hands a lot, it's important to make sure that you use lotion. Sorry, Jeff, I might have used all your skin lotion. Oh, never mind. All right. Well, they're out of that at the store too. So now you're really out of luck. I'm sorry. We're screwed. Um, Actually, it occurred to me if if you're unsure about how long to wash your hands for, just play that clip from Hillel about joining Slack. If you can wash your hands through that entire thing, you'll be good to go. That's right. That's 39.2 seconds worth of Hillel overachiever if you talking about Slack. And uh, Liz, she knows my she knows me so well, and she knows exactly the word I was looking for: gallivanting. He, um, Rollo. Pilot Rolo is out there gallivanting around the world. Thank you. There we go. Uh, and, um, well, until next time, uh, wishing all of you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Stay healthy. Yes. See you all. Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline 